Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Turkey Hunt's one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Montana Casting Company is a performance fly rod and reel company based right here in our capital, Helena, Montana. Each model of fly rod is a tribute to Montana's rugged beauty and adventurous spirit. Their rods capture the look, feel, and craftsmanship of a custom-built fly rod. Scott personally calls every customer buys one of his rods head to montanacastingco.com and use code meateater20 at checkout for a one-time 20 percent off discount all right everybody i know you're sitting home whining and crying about how you missed getting tickets for meat eater off the air and like you're just despondent catatonic what other kind of words you guys even know what catatonic means super not happy because you miss me and every it's so but it has but perk up Come out of that catatonic stupor because there's still two venues left. Everything's sold out, but we got still still two venues left. April 15 and April 16. Neighboring dates. Me, Cal, Yanni, Meteor off the air. Holy smokes. Mesa Art Center in Mesa, Arizona for you Phoenix market people or people that can get there. And City National Grove, Anaheim, California, like the LA, you people. Come on out, man. Hurry up and get them. Everything else is gone, but get those. See you. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Know where you stand with OnX. You starting, Yanni? You just starting the whole podcast? No, you, yeah, because if you're going to say the first thing, there's something I think you should say. Oh! <laughs> but then going well, to... You, welcome, everybody. No, no, no. You <laughs> should say... Um, so, Alex Messenger, you got uh, attacked by a grizzly bear, and then go into whatever you're going to talk oh, about. all right. Because that's titillating. Very. That's titillating, <laughs> and people want to hear all about that. Have you always been <laughs> fond of that word? Or do you feel like just recently it's like re-entered your vocabulary? Titillating? Titillating. <laughs> what I like about it, no, only recently. I've always been fond of it. I've just been trying to use it more. Um, There's a <laughs> Tom Robbins character named Mark's Marvelous, and uh, he always liked that name because people loathe Marks, Karl Marx. And real men never use the word marvelous. And so it was sort of an attack on language and stereotypes about language. So 
I feel like um, the word titillating is unexpected. <laughs> it is that. Like if I said rad or awesome or bitching, <laughs> people don't care about that. A rad story. No one's going to listen. A titillating story. Yep. Look at Phil over there. He always looks half asleep. I can't he be got, now. I'm running he, cameras, he man. He fired right up now. <laughs> yeah. You hear that word and they turn the volume knob yeah, up. So they a know it's bit. a titillating story about uh, white water and a bear attack. That's Ooh. right. So now what were you... But, <laughs> and a but, bear bite. But uh, before Al, we get to that... Well, one second. Let me just now. I want to do him, fa- I want to do him justice as an author. Okay. <laughs> Alex Messenger, author of The 29th Day, Surviving a Grizzly Attack in the Canadian Tundra. But first, Yanni on walleye. <laughs> <laughs> Alex now lives in Duluth, correct? That's right. And I was telling him that we were just recently on fishing walleye on Malax. He asked if I caught some walleye. I said <laughs> yes, but I was more just as interested in catching walleye. I was interested in asking everybody why the obsession with walleye. Why do you think it is? I don't know. I think people appreciate the flavor and uh, that it's a beautiful fish and it's pretty easy to fillet. <laughs> that's a great way that's a great thing to say yeah that's yeah that's a good way to sell a fish <laughs> yeah you I'll know tell you a lot say that people, like a monkfish or uh, a, <laughs> no it's not like a shovel-nosed sturgeon <laughs> yeah of, exactly. of all the people i've asked this question to you're the first person i think that have that has added that point that it's easy to fillet dude i'm gonna add that to everything i talk about now i mean you look at a northern it's like <laughs> no i always talk about things that are hard to clean yeah but no one ever praises no one ever celebrates things that are easy to clean. I mean, that's utilitarian. It's got a, <laughs> Especially it's got you got a, a lot of them. You ought to be a writer. <laughs> How old are you? You're not that old, though. 32. Oh, you are? Yeah. I got a baby face. No, I just did some rough math. <laughs> Reading your book, I did some rough math, and I had you pegged at 27. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. 05, 17, 20, 20, 33. Okay. Later. Long gotcha. ways away. Uh, you good on walleye, Yanni? I'm good. Um, so you're from Duluth. Yep. Uh, born and raised? Uh, born and raised in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis okay. uh, suburbs. My wife's from Duluth, so that's what uh, brought me there. So I was living up in Ely, Minnesota before um, moving down to Duluth. Oh, man, my old man loved Ely because yeah. before my time, my old man was, uh, they would do big, long canoe trips. Yep. And I still have this, I still have his, I'm thinking about, I want to get it framed. I have like his Duluth pack. Yeah. Yep. That says um, Canoe Country Outfitters on it. Oh, Stenc- nice. Stenciled on there. Yeah. It's got like the big, I had it rebuilt recently. But yeah. I want to get it put in a glass frame. Yeah. So I can hang it on my wall. Or just keep using it. I, I moved <laughs> to Duluth for an afternoon one time. Oh, wow. When I um, moved. <laughs> well, here, here's the deal, man. Uh, what was weird about it is when I got out of graduate school, I intended to take all the things I learned about, um, like I studied writing like in the West, right? And there's this very intense sort of sense of place in the West. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted to take that way of looking at the world and apply it to the Great Lakes. And so as soon as I finished graduate school, I left because I was going to go write a book about the Great Lakes. Um, and... My dad had just died, so I took his truck, and I started doing all my research. And uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and we were going to move to, I was like, I thought, like, what better place to write about the Great Lakes in Duluth? Like, you kind of just nudged right out in it, you know? Oh, yeah. And there's some great stories up there. So I thought maybe we'll just rent a place for six months here, and then I'll move and 
to the kind of the other end of the lakes and live yeah. there. And I remember we were sitting in a bar, um, looking at, we're sitting in a bar looking at apartments and st- cottages for rent and whatnot. And my girlfriend got an email that she had, uh, gotten accepted into this writing fellowship Awesome, that she had to go to. And so that just changed, all of a sudden everything kind of like went into upheaval. Yeah. And then wasn't long later, I changed my mind anyway and moved back out west. Yeah. But well, almost moved there. That's crazy. Isn't yeah. that amazing how life just kind of switches? I knew these, um, we'll get on to this, we'll get on to your story in a minute. But uh, it's cold as shit, right? Because <laughs> I knew these girls, yeah. that, I knew these girls that I met down in Key West that were telling me that they were students. At UMD. And they were telling me one time they realized that they went a month without going outside. Yeah. Because you can take tunnels everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That campus. campus is just like super connected and really easy to get lost in because of, you know, these buildings weren't originally made for it. So they're all just like kind of bolted together. But yeah, you don't need to go outside. Yeah. You can like spend a month in your bedroom slippers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going from class in the cafeteria and stuff yep, like that. Yep. Exactly. Taking walks for exercise. <laughs> Uh, what do you wow. do? Like, what's your main thing you do for a living? You're a writer. Uh, so my day job is marketing, uh, for a hospital in town there called St. Luke's. Okay. So, um, I started that about a year ago before that I was doing marketing for an outdoor company called Frost River who makes traditional canoe packs, kind of yeah. like the one your dad had. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've been doing marketing for a long time and the writing and photography, uh, side work, which is really vocationally exciting for me. You got a, a scar on your leg from where the bear got you? I do. Yeah. You want to drop your drawers and show us? It's kind of in a compromising location. It's, it's in a crock. It's in like a bad spot, right? Oh, it's real high. Yeah, it's right, right at the uh, hip joint. So uh, it's like drop, drop trowel, and then lift up the the boxers, and <laughs> then you can see it. So I don't show it in plank company. <laughs> no, you don't just walk around, and walk into bars, and, and be what happened. <laughs> yeah, you get kicked out that way. Tell uh, <laughs> tell people about the um. You're on a 600-mile-long canoe trip. That's right. Lay that out. Yeah. So, like, uh, what is the trip? The trip that is, is a long, But he was a long, kid, too. Yeah. 17, okay, yeah, let's set the scene. 17 years old. 17 years old. And you embark with some other kids on a 600-mile-long paddle. Yep. Yeah, this is the, uh, it's the pinnacle trip for the camp that we were going through. Um, what is, yeah, what, yeah, you know what? Let's back In your explanation, that. explain yeah. this camp. Yeah, so uh, YMCA Camp Minogen, um, it's a wilderness trip-based camp. It started in, I think, 1922 um, up in northern Minnesota, north of uh, Grand Marais. It's like literally a few miles south of the Canadian border, right next to the Boundary Waters. Um, So they set up with the mission of um, taking kids out for transformational experiences in a wilderness setting. But not bad kids. No, no, not like uh, not like those um, more, yeah, oriented towards kids who've gotten into trouble or have chemical uh, issues and things like that. You know, this is this is um, kids that just want to have an adventure um, and see the wild places. So. Uh, like a regular old summer camp, but just bumped up just a little, little higher notch of adventure. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not uh, it's not like a residential camp where you're getting up, you're eating in the cafeteria, you're going and doing archery and catching frogs and uh, doing arts and crafts and stuff, which isn't to knock that at all. That's a really fun experience, but this is just different from that. Um, so you get to camp and you get 
packed out and they're you know they kind of act like an outfitter in that sense um, yeah. I thought one of the most out. interesting things about the camp was that you don't take a car to base camp or to headquarters yeah yeah so it's this amazing spot um, like literally right on the edge of the boundary waters you have to go across a lake to get to it and there's like an old ATV trail that you can take around the lake to get there but um, camp itself is just kind of out there. So you feel like you're, I mean, you really are in the wilderness, even when you're at base camp. Mm -hmm. Is it mostly, Um, is it like, uh, like blue collar kids or mostly wealthy kids? Uh, it's, it's a mixture, um, you know, and that's super intentional too. Um, there's like scholarship programs for if you can't, um, afford the fees and you can apply for a scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I actually was um, a recipient of a partial scholarship for this longer trip. Um, you can also be like a work camper where you're, um, at camp as like a residential camper and you're helping out around camp with like chores and whatever and you know having a lot of friends a lot of fun with friends and and kids your age and um that's a really cool experience too um but uh yeah you know it's a it's a wide range of folks that go there but sessions start with like really short kind of intro um i think they even have a shorter session now that's like five days or something um but at the time the shortest session was eight days and my parents were like you're going on this trip i'm like okay i've gone to the boundary waters uh for a long time with my family but uh my parents were had heard great things, and they kind of sent me on that first trip. Oh, so that's, that's how the how camp works. You just go up and do a trip. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Okay, so it's not like you spend your summer there. No, no. You go and do a canoe trip. Yeah, in the you Boundary go and do a canoe trip. Yeah. Um, there's also, like, backpacking trips, um, climbing trips, things like that. Um, so it's just amazing experiences, and, you know, you're with your contemporaries, and you're also with guides who are, you know, really well-versed in, in what you're doing. And But not old. <laughs> not old, no. I mean, they're, you know... Um, they're adults, uh, but they're not like middle aged. <laughs> yeah. Were your parents adventurers? They were, yeah. Um, or are maybe still? Well, they're getting they're they're both retired, so the adventure the type of adventure has changed a little bit. But um, they're both in anthropology. Um, so my dad was a professor of anthropology at Hamlin University um, the whole time I was growing up. My mom um, was an adjunct professor and worked in administration and stuff and. They both work together, and they teach study abroad trips um, every January. So we'd go and tour these ancient sites in oh, and you, Mexico you, you could, you could and Peru. Go along. And yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was climbing up uh, temples in Mexico when I was three uh, with them for that. Uh, before that, they did field work like in um, Guatemala, I think, and other Central American company or uh, countries where they're setting up with hammocks in the jungle and you got to check your boots for spiders and your archaeological pits for snakes and stuff and yeah. <laughs> breaking up machete fights between the workers and whatever. So they definitely uh, brought a sense of adventure to bring it up myself and my sister. So, you know, it wasn't like totally out of the blue that <laughs> they were like, hey, you should go on this trip. But uh you know, a hugely important decision for them to, to send me there. Cause, um, you know, like I said, we'd gone camping before, but, uh, going camping with this like organized group and, and seeing how you can move and, and do all this stuff really efficiently, um, was just kind of a paradigm shift for me. Cause up in the boundary waters, you measure how far you have to carry your gear between lakes, um, in rods, which is like 17 and a half feet. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so it's like, oh, how long is that portage? Oh, it's five rods. That's super short. Or it's 320 rods, which is a mile. 
Um, hmm. And with my family, it was like, oh, 150 rods, that's like impossible. Did you learn how to think <laughs> in rods? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, when I started hanging out in southeast Alaska, we have a fish shack there. Everybody does everything in fathoms. <laughs> and nice. first all conversations, I would need to like be running math. Right. But after whatever, I don't know, years. Yeah. I got to do it the opposite now. <laughs> Let's see how many right? fathoms is that. Yeah, like way? I think, no, like I think in fathoms. Like, like yeah. only when I'm up there. When I'm right. up there, I think in fathoms. And someone says like feet, I got to go like, well, hold on a minute. And go the other direction because I just conceptualize, right? I've learned to conceptualize in fathoms. Tell me again how many feet? A fathom? Yeah. Six feet? Six. I wonder if that's where the saying like you can't fathom something comes from. Huh. Hmm. You do, you know, know, um, do you know where the, where the measurement, the rod comes from? Oh, I should know. It's, uh, this is, I don't believe this is where it came from, but it's the length of an old Minnesota guide canoe. Gotcha. Uh, you know, Mark Twain. I think it's related to surveying though, originally. Say, so, you know, the author, Mark Twain, yeah. Samuel Clemens, you know, his pen name, like Mark Twain is his pen name. Yeah. His, his given name is Samuel Clemens. Mark Twain is that they would, in the old steamboats, they'd have a dude up front with a rope that had yeah. knots tied in it at increments. To see how fast Were they six foot increments, Yanni? That's a good little project for you to work on right now. Um, yeah, we've done this one before. I know. Talk about I this all remember. damn time. Uh, <laughs> and the riverboat captain's got a dude up front with a weight on a rope with knots. And, he, and the dude's yelling out what knot depth. And Mark Twain, second, second knot is safe passage, good water. Oh. So when you're a riverboat captain, you like that dude up front to be going, Mark Twain. Mark Twain. That means good shit. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So you portage and rods. Yeah. So you portage and rods, and and uh, my perception of what was a, uh, like achievable was totally different once I went on that first trip with camp, and uh, I just I was hooked right after that. What's a long ass portage in your mind? Don't give it to me in rods. <laughs> Fathoms. <laughs> uh, Miles, yards, whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. Well. Uh, I mean, when you get up a over... A standard but long-ass portage. A standard but long... I'm a fan. I, I enjoy portaging, which is, uh, you know, some some people can't understand that. But um, between, like, one and two miles is, like, this is good. Okay. I, I enjoy that. You know, you get into the mode, and um, you get to the end, and you're just super stoked to be ready to put your boat down. <laughs> yeah. Cause I want to bump into this, this 600 mile journey. So you did yeah. a number of trips over the years. Yeah. And sort of the pinnacle. Yep. The hell week. <laughs> sure. <laughs> is the, was how long did it take you guys to go 600 miles or how long should it take to go 600 so miles? This is a 42 day session. Um, so, a uh, couple days less than that was, was, you know, end to end kind of yeah. what the goal was. Yeah, and like, and the reason we're bringing up porridges because this trip is it's it's you're not just on a river for 600 miles, right? You're bumping from system to system. Yeah. So you like get on a lake, the lake flows into your river. You go to yep. another lake, paddle yep. that lake. That lake's frozen. You drag your shit across the ice. Then you like <laughs> drag. Then you portage over into a, some whole other river system. Yeah. And then move through that network. Right. And it's. And then you always need to go around rapids and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So our route was amazing. I mean, we started out in the Northwest Territories um, on the Dubois River and made our way into Nunavut um, and then eventually got off the Dubois and kind of did this um, 
not exactly height of land, but this sort of traverse into another river system, the Coon Walk, um, and made our way down that and then ended up on the Kazan. And so it was a really unique route um, that was a combination of rivers that Camp and other people had done, but we, we hadn't seen another trip that had actually taken this route and this traverse. So we were kind of, felt like we were breaking trail and, and you, got, you guys are, you guys <laughs> kind of architected your own journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, uh, the six of us, which includes the guide, you know, confabbed about, you know, what we wanted to have the trip be and, and discussed a couple of different options. And, um, this one, you know, in addition to having that, uh, traverse and these different river systems, which were very different in terms of the feel. Um, it also went from the taiga forest, which is like scrub trees. Um, it's the, lar- yeah, the largest biome in the world Yeah, is the taiga. Yeah. And it's just amazing. Uh, it's kind of like everything's in miniature, but mm-hmm. there's still trees in everything. Um, and yeah, black spruce, poplar, yeah. aspen. And- yep. And shrubs and yeah, bushes and like, whatever. When you roll in like Siberia and Russia. Yeah. And then... Canada, yeah, I think it's yeah. I've read multiple times the largest biome on the planet, like the largest like habitat type, yeah, that exists. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's like the threshold between I don't know what's south of that as far as biomes go, but it's kind of the next step north is the tundra. Mm-hmm. So it's like right on the edge. Um, yeah, so. talk, tell people about um, sort of your perception of what it would be like to like travel across into the yeah tree line. Yeah. You know, when you look at old maps, you'll see on old maps, they use, you'll see this line here and there. Yep. And it'll say the limit of wooded country. Oh, nice. In old maps. <laughs> but talk about like what, like what that transition looked like. Sort of your expectation of what that would be like and what it was like, like. Yeah. So I, in my mind, you know, we're discussing this, um, looking over maps and everything and, and we didn't have that description. It was kind of like the green zone turned into the whatever, you know, white zone. Uh, and that was right across the middle of Dubois Lake, which is the largest lake in Nunavut. Um, and I just imagine kind of pushing off from shore on Dubois and paddling across the lake, which in my mind was, we couldn't see either shore. You know, you never do that. You never paddle in the middle of a lake where you can't see shore. Isn't on that big? <laughs> it's really big. Yeah. Uh, isn't that but, intimidating to get out? Like, why not? Yeah. yeah you, like you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go in the middle of the lake because if a storm came up or whatever, you'd oh, be yeah, in a pretty okay. bad situation. But that lake's that big. Yeah. I mean, you could probably see a sliver of it, but in my mind's eye, I was like, we're going to be paddling. We won't see shore. It's going to be foggy. We're going to push off. There's going to be trees. We'll get to the other side. It's going to oh, be completely oh, okay, start. I'm sorry. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So in my mind's eye, that's what it was going to be. It was like, you know, a switch flipping like trees, no trees. And uh, in reality, it was just kind of like all the trees just kept getting smaller and smaller and fewer and farther between until you kind of don't even realize you're in this place that just doesn't have any trees. And the shrubs are like hidden in little mm-hmm. hollows and stuff. There's just like very, very little vegetation that grows of any height at all. We've experienced that on the Dalton Highway. Yeah, I've crossed that a number, the, the tree line a number of times, and it, it's like a gradual petering out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like the just like, pass. Just like you uh, described, it just everything just sort of slopes down, and then yeah. there's no trees. And I think, believe Yeah, at one point in time, you're like, holy shit, there's no trees. And then I, think, I believe there's <laughs> yeah, actually like realize a sign <laughs> right next to, like, the last black spruce, and they, they mention there... <laughs> it. Yeah, it was like, it look like, over there. Is it named? Last tree. This is Bob. There's a really, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
the last Brad Spruce you can see from that spot. There's a really good book about um, the natural history of Alaska. And you know when you see, like when you're going across the tree line, the limited wooded country, and then you see like some tree that's like, the from whatever your perspective is at a given time, it looks like the last one. Yep. It's tempting to imagine it as like a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> whose seed like blew up there. Yeah. But in this book, it explains that what you're typically looking at are remnants. Yeah, it's the last one. It's the last one left. <laughs> not the first. It's not the first right. one there. You're looking at the last one left, in that you're still seeing the effects of the end of the ice age. Right. Of that of that line moving. Yeah, it's wild, and I mean the remnants of the ice age up there are just so tangible in a way that's totally different from any other place I've been down here. Like. You know, you see stuff and you have to, like, think about, oh, like, that boulder was dropped by the last ice yeah. age. But up there, there's these things called um, eskers, uh, which are remnants of old glacial rivers. So all the sediment would be, you know, in, in the ice at the bottom of this glacial river. And then when the uh, glaciers recede, that sediment drops down and it's the river bottom, but now it's a ridge. It makes a raised sidewalk, yeah. often flat. Often flat. Yeah. Awesome to portage on. Yeah, great, great, <laughs> tra- great traveling. <laughs> hard to portage up. <laughs> oh, hard to get on top. Yeah, right? but then you it's get on top. Steep. You're smooth sailing. <laughs> yeah. So how many people you got with us on? How, how many people you got with you on the trip? There were six of us. Two, three canoes. Three canoes. And you yeah. got one like, uh, like I don't know, a guide counselor. Yep. How old's that guy? So he was in his mid twenties. Okay. Because yep. in the pictures he looks young. Yeah, we all looked young. <laughs> yeah, you do. But it looks like it doesn't look like there's a guy. So he's in his mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of experience. Um He was a pretty experienced woodsman. Yeah. Yeah. He Waterman. Uh, yep. Uh well all of the above. Um we at the end of each trip with camp we get a little we tie a little bracelet for each other. Um that's kinda to commemorate the trip and um you're theoretically gonna wear it, you know, uh as long as you can kind of as a reminder of everything you learned. And his forearm was just like covered in it. So I, I noticed that in one of the pictures. Oh, he oh, kept yeah. them all on. I was yeah. his adventures. I yeah. was wondering if he had an injury. No, when I saw it. No, those are each one of yeah. those is uh, a trip that he went on or guided. Um, Got you. Yeah. So, and at one point in time, this being like the pinnacle trip. Yeah. At one point in time, this is what's kind of ironic. Is they used to run the pinnacle trip. Yeah. To the east, but quit doing it because of fears of polar bears. Right. <laughs> so, but no one ever got hit by a polar bear, right? No, uh, there were some some near misses that you know they paid attention to, and we're like, all right, you know, polar bears are uh, well. For one thing, polar bears will stalk humans. Yeah. Um, and that's a a level of uh, creepy that. <laughs> is you know if you're going for for a uh, canoe adventure and stuff you know it's kind of something you want to not have as part of your trip yeah uh, be worrying about a, a polar bear that's like following you from camp to camp and stuff like that so have you seen one in the wild no uh so I, I never have and i would like to and a friend of mine that's had some exposure to him talks about just the the yeah. creepiness of them following you around yeah i can't imagine i mean it'd just be Hard to sleep and no. <laughs> I mean, so they they moved yeah. it over into grizzly country. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and so. what are your uh as you're on this long trip? Yeah. Remind me how many days? Forty five? Forty forty two. Forty two days. Yeah. When you're on this long trip, what are your conversations and what are your what is your awareness 
about that like oh and there's grizzlies you know what yep. i mean because i think that like like i found in life it's like um i feel in life you have all the things that you think are a problem yeah you know you're like aware of like these are the problems yeah but then the problems are always something else right oftentimes yeah like you get blindsided by the actual things right right like you think like you gotta clean your garage and that's a real problem, but then like your kid gets Lyme disease and you're like, wow, it wasn't you know, yeah, it wasn't on my radar. Like you're always, but here you are, like presumably you're like, oh, and there's like grizzlies and right. that's a problem, right? Or a thing of concern, yeah, something to be aware of. Um, so yeah, I mean, we were aware of it before we left um, camp in northern Minnesota. You know, we did uh, we did training at camp on what you're supposed to do, you know, sitting around talking about, uh, we had bear spray, uh, pepper spray walking through, you know, how to use that. Were you using the practice cans? Uh, not at that point. With the inactive ingredients? No, no. Um, we did, we were, you know, using the cans and kind of going through the motions and everything. Um, but everything but the plunger press. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but that training, that training look like, like what was the training like here's a thing and here's how to use it yeah and then i mean it wasn't like 30 seconds you know we spent some time on it um to the point where when we were done i felt very uh comfortable with how to use it um but you still just left in your tent yeah (laughs) yep should have carried it spoiler alert yeah oh no no, yeah (laughs) um yeah you have to have it on you in order to be able to use it so so you guys like took it seriously but not that seriously so yeah, right. We we had it. We we did that training. We did other training as far as like here's what you do in general. Um, you know when you see it, and then um, we'd been told that it was really really rare to even see one up there, gotcha. and you can see forever. You know, there's no trees. You're up on high points a lot, and you yep. can see just everywhere. Um, so we kind of went into it with like they're there, but they're not like prevalent. Yeah, and they're a way different critter than the coastal ones. Oh yeah, just a way like just like. Yeah, you just go forever, and then there's one way off in the distance. Yep. Oftentimes, they're scared shitless yeah. of people. Yep. They're like, I'm just going the they're other not direction. Acclima- <laughs> they're not acclimated at all to people. They right. like, see it, and they're like, that's, whatever that is, is not good. Yep, exactly. There's a more kind of, just a little more, um, a little kind of more wigged out all the time. You know what I mean? Just kind of a cagier sort of. Yeah. Yeah, and they're you know they don't have like salmon streams where they're just picking dinner out and whatever. They're they're pretty nomadic. They they have a pretty wide range, which I understand is more wide than like a coastal grizzly, yeah, for like instance. In, yeah, extremely low population densities. Right. Where one of these things might have one of these bears up in these areas, he might have a, a hundred square mile home range. Yeah. Yeah. Or bigger, yeah. maybe. I mean, I have to I have to look at the biology of it, but. It's a pretty wide range that they go. Um, but in addition to the bear spray and just kind of like the other protocols, we had um, bear poppers, which are these noise-making devices that you shoot with a like a bolt-action little pen, and then it fires off this thing, and it goes, just goes boom, and it's just a noise deterrent. Did you experiment with those? <laughs> no, that was that was like, here's how you use it, but you guys shouldn't use this. Like That's, that's more something that the guide should use gotcha. if that comes mm-hmm. up. You don't, you don't know they want to ask about. Maybe I might as well ask about it now. <laughs> the the fems, like yes, the girls group. Yeah, 
We mispronounce we mispronounce the French names. We say Foms. Oh, and oh I know that. okay. So the <laughs> it's a known, and known mispronunciation. Yeah, it's not, so like, yeah, I kept reading like the violent Foms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the French like Fum. So Foms. Yeah. Um, you guys got your trip. There's a guys' trip, a boys' yep. trip. Yep. And there's a girls' trip, and they're kind of parallel on parallel river systems. Yep. The reason I was going to ask you about this, when I was a boy, if you were out like on a long canoe journey and you were occasionally coming across an encampment of girls, oh boy, I feel that there would be like, you wouldn't be able to pull them apart, but you guys avoid each other. Yeah. We don't that's why. Maybe specifically maybe for that reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Avoidance. Like when you guys ran into, you guys ran into each other, you were out of all kinds of, you guys had like ran all your food reserves, like you'd. You guys are starving. <laughs> well, not starving. But it was bad. <laughs> we we were we were being uh, aware that we needed to be careful with how much food we had. And they had certain reserves. There, there was like a, there was a they good moment. They did not of, need to be careful. Yeah, there was an exchange. <laughs> like they had like plenty of some stuff that you were out of. You guys had some. Yep, they didn't exactly. have the right fishing equipment. Yep. You guys are slaying lake trout like it's nobody's business. <laughs> exactly. You like eating Lakers? Oh, my gosh. You talk about how good they are. You should oh, be like a spokesman man. for the lake trout. Lake trout is my favorite Dude, you fish. Got some, the pictures in the book, you got a couple. Like yeah. One of those things is a tanker. That's my like biggest fish of my life. It's probably going to be the biggest lake trout I ever catch. Uh, someday I'm going to make a graphite mount of it. <laughs> oh, they're incredible. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they're they're absolutely amazing eating. Um, I want to re- return to the, how, how do you say it again? The farms, farms. Um, yeah. Turn the farms. But one of the coolest things, because I like to fish. One of the coolest things is uh, when you're in that big ass lake. Yeah. And the ice is breaking up, and you're kind of like dragging over the ice and trying to find leads. Yeah. And you talk about the Lakers are all up finning. Yeah. In yeah, the like open sharks. water, that is the weirdest <laughs> scene. It's crazy. I mean, it's and they would take spoons and, though. Yeah, they took spoons. Um, I mean, they just loved spoons, and they were really easy to catch. So we'd just toss one out and be like. Or we'd we'd ask, you know, hey, you guys want fish for dinner? And toss one out. and <laughs> Like you get pretty one. much get as many fish as you want. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys so. would fillet them and do what with them? Yeah, we'd fillet them. We'd, um, I mean, they're basically like steaks. <laughs> yeah. Fillet yeah, them and throw them into the pan. Because you the big one that you caught, right? Yeah. This fish is as long as your leg yep. in that photograph. Yep. And I'm you, not even holding it forward. It's so heavy. I'm just like, Ugh, And you filleted it. And then, <laughs> I mean, did you guys eat that in one meal? Yeah. Wow. They're growing kids. We're growing kids. We were burning a lot of calories. Yeah, six people. And you were low on pasta. We were low on pasta. (laughs) So we're like, all right, a couple more fish meals. Um, So, yeah, we pretty much would just fry it up, though. You don't need to do much with that. But you run into the farms out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Uh, But, yeah, you got to kind of steer clear of them. Probably because the camp, (laughs) the, the, the boss man, the counselor makes you guys steer, or the guide makes you steer clear of them. No, I mean, we just... Like, you guys didn't join forces to party. <laughs> right. We didn't want to impose on their trip. You know, I mean, when you're when you're on a long trip like this, the group dynamics are... Well, I mean, they're for one thing, they're crucial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's it's like... Uh, it's being made... Oh, it's almost being made in a, in a vacuum. Like, you don't have a bunch of different input points. You're not checking your Facebook. You're not interacting with a bunch of different people. Like, it's just your group that's out in the woods yeah, and what you're making is something that's super special. And, you know, that was special for our group and it was special for their group. And we didn't want to, uh, you know, have them have a different trip because of us or whatever. So, you know, part of it's mutual respect and, uh, yeah. So I once, uh, you know, 
I always want to act like when I tell this anecdote, I always want to act like I heard it, but I actually heard it from someone that heard it. But a friend of mine went to, I can't remember who else was, went to see a lecture by a guy that does these extraordinarily long canoe trips, like what you're talking about. Um, and he was talking about, you know, when you spend a weekend, you spend a weekend out in the woods yeah, and you feel time slowing down and you feel your mind clearing, your thoughts are focusing, right? You're, you're developing a sense of peace, right? At a rapid rate. He said that still happens. It's still happening at that rate after 30 days. Yeah. Yeah, that clarification line doesn't doesn't stop. Wow, I believe that, and I can see why you might get like in that zone. It might get that you didn't want, you didn't need outside, like you had your six guys, right? And you just didn't need the noise of other individuals, right? I mean, that's part of what's amazing about going on a trip like this. And you know, to your point, you don't need to be out for thirty days for that effect to start taking place, you know, you go into the Boundary Waters or whatever wild place you like to visit and it starts to happen quickly. Like getting away from all that technology and everything and just being connected with nature and everything, it, it has a profound effect mm-hmm. on uh, on your psyche and, and your body and your mind. And it's just, it's one of the reasons that, that I go out and I think it's one of the reasons a lot of people go out is just that personal transformation and centering that happens when you guys during the whole trip um it seems like you're kind of traveling through two kinds of water one is just like one is just you're slogging (laughs) right against the wind across lakes yeah and it's just probably incredibly monotonous (laughs) right and the other the other is that um you're often in situations that feel like like extremely threatening from whitewater, yeah, in canyons. Feel that way. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're working within our within our skill set and everything, but yeah, I mean the when you're in it, well, you're it's making, just like you're like, making whoa. snap decisions. Yeah, and then portaging around stuff all the time. Right. Which of those two things do you prefer? Did you like just the just the going, or did you like that 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 stress of the whitewater? I really like both. I think both combined is is really awesome. Titillating. Yeah. Good, yeah. That was great. Hey, man, it's a struggle to find time to manage one's finances. It's a struggle to find time to manage my finances. You go through like a busy week and the last thing you want to do is spend time budgeting, you know, your expenses and tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions you're paying for that you don't use. But now you use Rocket Money and does all of that for me. I'll tell you this this happens all the time in our family because like something will come out that we want to watch and they lure you in with a one month trial and you're like, oh you know, I'll do the one month trial, then I'll come back and cancel, and then I can watch this whole thing. And then like you don't. You forget about it, and then and then a year goes by and you've been paying these guys twelve bucks all year and never watched a single thing. This finds that stuff and gets rid of it for you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. Stop wasting money 
on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Uh, talk about the implications of having a spray skirt or not a spray skirt, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, so a spray skirt is basically like a poncho that latches onto your boat um, and then comes up to your person um, and keeps water from coming over the sides or going over the top of the boat and getting into the boat. Um, Splash water. Yeah. And now in a, in a two-person canoe, it's, is it connected or how does that work? There's a couple different ways it can be set up. There might be just a bow skirt just for the front uh -huh. or there might be like a full one where, you know, both the bow and the stern person are like cinched in and there's uh, all snaps all around the gunnels um, of the boat and that's like full protection. So um, we didn't have them on ours just because it's kind of, it was uh, the mental hope that we wouldn't paddle as big a water uh, if we didn't have that. Um, 
and then uh, policy switched not that long after to include them just because they are um, they're helpful in making sure that that you're as safe as you can be out there and don't end up getting a bunch of water because if you end up getting some water in your boat uh, it starts to affect how it handles pretty mm-hmm. significantly so um, but because we didn't have them we were we were paddling super conservatively but it's sort of a calculated decision you made I mean you could have had them yeah but it invites it could invite you know the decision to be like Ah, we got the skirts. Let's do it. Yeah, you know. Um, but uh, I think if I went again, I I would have the skirts and camp uses the skirts now. Like oh, I said, do. just because it's uh, it it just raises your level of safety a little bit. You know, you're still paddling conservatively and you don't want to go into crazy stuff. Um, but it just it makes it so that smaller things don't become bigger things. There's this pioneering um mountain hunter. He's dead now, but his name is Duncan Gilchrist, and he would did a lot of things that no one had done. And he had a similar approach to crampons sure. when he was hunting mountain goats. He <laughs> Didn't wear them? never brought them. <laughs> okay. But you do not put them on to get somewhere. Oh, sure. You only put them on to get out of somewhere. Right. <laughs> that was his, like, view on it, right? Like, it right. invites a level, like, it invites that, like, next. <laughs> ah, we can do it. <laughs> yeah, that next level of stuff. And you just had, like, make a rule for yourself, you know? Right. I don't touch these to get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like setting up bumpers, you know, so mm-hmm. that you can't cheat <laughs> in your mind. Yeah, uh, explain to me some of the the river hazards, recyclers, strainers. You do a pretty good job of walking through all these things. Yeah, so there's a lot of different. We call them all features, basically, in the features. river. Yeah. Um, so recyclers basically tumbling water. Um, I think some people call them haystacks. Um, not positive on that. We want to fact check that. Tell, okay, throw pillow into this. Pillow. So pillow. I, I get confused about so. I, I look at it all as like you know. I, kind, I guess I kind of understand what it is, but I don't have the vocabulary that you have for it all. Yeah, and a really good resource for that is. Um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name. He's like the pioneer of of popular canoeing. Uh, oh, he has a great book about it. But um, up in the boundary waters, is he from that country? It's uh, not stew you're thinking of, is no, it? No, it's not stew. It's like a big coffee table book with um, all kinds of instructional information oh, really? about paddling. I'm have to get the, find it. I want, I'll buy this book right now. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, maybe one of you guys with computer can check it out. <laughs> yeah, he might try. find it. Yeah. Oh, and he's got he painted and he did a bunch of documentaries, but he's like the uh, godfather of, of modern canoeing and Type kind of popularizing in, yeah. it. I'll probably <laughs> pop up. But the number two hit will be, uh, the, the number two hit will probably be this gentleman. Okay, go on. Explain yeah. some features for me. Yeah, so on the river, there's a bunch of different uh, ways that the water interacts with, um, you know, the uh, the rocks and, and the shoreline and different stuff that's in there. So um, you're typically aiming for downstream Vs, which literally form a V that points downstream. And that's kind of like the safest way down. Um and then behind the rocks uh, or other things, usually there's an eddy where the current is kind of swirling around and it's kind of going upstream. It's calmer water usually. Um, there are these kind of insidious ones called pillows. Yeah. And a Tell pillow, me about a pillow. Yeah. I know one when I see one, but I don't know what, I don't understand the hydraulics of it. So basically the water uh, is pushing up and over something and that something, you know, it's a rock or a log or whatever, but uh, it's... It's pushing over it smoothly. So when you're looking at it from upstream, all you see is this kind of like infinity pool mm-hmm. edge. And when you're tubing, it's a tailbone <laughs> ruiner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get hung up on it or whatever, depending on the current. Um, 
but like behind them, there there can be a, a like a waterfall pretty much. Um, so they're almost impossible to see from upstream, and and uh, you got to watch out for them because they'll just come up, and you're like, oh shit, we got to do something. Um, then there's uh, recyclers where the water, and that's is, what yeah. that's what drowns people. We we call them sleepers. Sleepers, yeah. Hold on, you call a the pillow, pillow sleeper? Okay, yeah. Are you still talking the river or in bed? This pillow and sleeper are kind of synonyms. Yeah, yeah. What the hell's with um these sort of like very peaceful, innocuous? <laughs> you know, it's called like a blanket. It's a well, pillow, because, but it drowns you. It's a recycler. It's good for the. Well, earth. because it does, it has that look from above. It's hard to pick out. Yeah. You can't. Oh, sleeper like that. Yeah, yeah gosh. Yeah, sure. we used to confuse creeper and sleeper. Okay. <laughs> Not with water, with alcohol. <laughs> oh. To be like, man, I drink some real creeper, yeah. which is what, which meant that you didn't enjoy it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it had crept up on you. Didn't know it hit you. Yeah. And you yeah. were like Long Island iced teas. Right. Were creepers. Yeah. <laughs> so, or you could call them sleepers. Looks fine. I don't know. How bad could it be? A beach bucket full. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and one of the other features that's really dangerous is a strainer, which is basically typically a um, like a branch or a tree where it's just straining the water, and that creates a lot of hydraulic pressure on the upstream side that can trap stuff, um, including like people or gear, mm-hmm. boats and stuff. And, oh, they're bad too, man. Yeah. I had a run-in with one of those this year with my wife and her friend. We Ooh. put our canoe in, and I was like, there's a 50% chance we're all going in the river <laughs> because it's just high and fast. But... It's like people don't want to, when you're coming up on a bad sweeper, it's people don't want to accept the pain of leaning forward and letting it do whatever it's going to do to your back. <laughs> right? Like to jump over it, you mean? or No, like here, there's a big limb out. Yeah. And you're going to go oh, under. Sure. You have to accept that like, this is not going to be fun, but I will lean over and my back will take gonna duck all under the it. branch, you know, the scraping. Right. But that's what you have to do. And I was like, whatever we do, when we hit this thing, we're coming up. I'm like, we're hitting it. It's like, don't lean. Don't lean. Just take it. Yeah. But they leaned. You're saying don't <laughs> lean back or to the side? Don't lean to the side. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, just absorb the blow. You know, like yeah. when you go, like a, a, a loose one, you know. And right. All, yeah. Yeah. And if the branches are going down into the water, then, then this is a whole different story. You, can, right? you got to go around it because it can pull stuff down. Or, like, if you get hung up on it, the way that the current's going can make your boat want to spin around or, or, you know, flip sideways because it's pulling at the at the bottom of the boat. So. What are the most lethal features? Uh, probably the the ones you get hung up on. The hung um, up on, not... Well, like a strainer or, like, uh, you know, if you get... If you broadside a rock or something, then it can just trap your boat and fold the boat around it. And then you're, got, you're having to scramble out of it and, you know, take care of yourself and your gear's all garage sailing and your boat might be <laughs> pretty significantly damaged or, or just stuck and require some, uh, some rescue techniques or recovery techniques to get it pulled off of that rock. Did you guys carry uh, equipment for jacking your boats off rocks? Yeah, we carried a, a set of ropes and carabiners to set up. I think it was a three to one, like a standard Z drag is what we call it. Uh-huh. Um, so, but <laughs> yeah, because the goal is to avoid that. Yeah, just but in I general. Mean, when you when you imagine all the hydraulic, like if you imagine a boat against a rock, yeah, and then add some, you know, some mass of water that's moving whatever eight yeah. or nine miles an hour. Yep. pressing against that thing. Right. It's an it's, enormous amount of force. It's huge. Holding it in place. Yeah. Yeah. And the canoe is wrapped around the rock like a tin can. 
<laughs> so even if you get that Z-drag set up, you know, you're doing the three to one, you're hauling on it and the rope stretching because of the water. And then you got people in the middle doing sheer force, moving the rope all back and forth. It can be a real uh, struggle to get a boat recovered. Were they aluminum <laughs> canoes? These were... Um, Royal X, right? Royal X, Yeah. Rest in peace, Royal X. <laughs> it's, it's done now? Done, yeah. Cars, got a, cars and Genic or something? Uh, it was kind of like Kodachrome. There was one spot that made it, I think, is what I understand. No shit, so, really? Yeah. Royal X canoes are no more? Yeah. What have they been replaced other, by? Uh, a couple different uh, materials. So they've made some super tough, um, like, composite, kind of like Kevlar. Yeah. Uh, What's a, I, have like a, I think I have a Pana, Old Town Penobscot. What's that? Yeah, that would probably be Royal X. Oh. Um, this is like a plastic compound, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like plastic. It's kind of got this weird foam stuff in the middle. But once you get it pulled off of a rock, you set it out in the sun or next to a fire, and the heat just lets it pop back to shape. Oh, really? <laughs> Keep wow. Get back on the water. <laughs> Might have to do a little patching or, you know, hammer the gunnels in. Did shape. you guys carry gear with you to fix canoes? Yeah. I don't remember what the kit was like, but we had repair kits for everything. Stoves, canoe, uh, people. <laughs> I was kit. surprised to see that you guys would run just those regular woven like standard woven seats. You didn't do like crazy creek setups with back support and stuff. You just got to learn to live with it. Yeah, like, I mean. Get your posture right and go. Yeah, I I really don't like a backrest in a canoe. So is uh, that like, is that not pro? Pros I, don't like a backrest? I'd probably say that. I mean, you know, it's, if you're if you're saying like when you see you do with a backrest, you're like, oh, <laughs> dude's lame. <laughs> Rookie. I'm like, I'd never do that. You know, with the exception of like, if you're hanging out for a long time, if you're if you're just sitting and fishing, I mean, by all means. But if you're paddling big water, stuff where it's um, the boat's getting tossed around and stuff, uh, that backrest is making you kind of an extension of the boat in a bad way. Yeah, Like, you him. need to have enough fluidity like in your person. Rider. Yeah. You know, if you just sit there with a stiff back and and stuff ends up uh, tossing you around, well, then you guys your center paddled, of gravity is pushing you over. <laughs> you guys paddled most of that stuff not sitting in those seats, but kneeling. Oh, the rough shit you get on your down, knees. I yep, like that. Yeah, lowers your center of gravity. You can move the canoe with your knees. Like, you know, if, if the bus, bu- yeah, if the boat's getting pushed to the left, you can push to the right and get it yeah. uh, straightened back out. And so. you and you know a wide array of strokes mm-hmm. that. Maybe I know them and don't know that they have names, but what are some of the, you break down quite a few strokes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to move a canoe, but the basic ones are forward paddle, backward paddle, which are exactly what you think. Um, And then uh, when you're in the stern, when you're in the back and you're, and you're doing the steering, um, there's the J stroke and C stroke. um, And the J stroke basically corrects, uh, the turn that naturally happens when you're paddling the boat from the back. You're on the right, and you're just paddling, and it's going to generally push you to the left in the J-stroke. So you don't stroke. have to switch sides. Yeah. Do you, yep. When you're doing J-stroke, do you throw the J on every stroke, or do you only correct like every other? Uh, I typically correct every other, but it's totally a nuanced thing depending mm-hmm. on the weather and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if there's any current or whatever. So you get into the mode where you're not even thinking about it. You're just, like, throwing a J in every once in a while. Yeah, it whatever. seems like there's, like, a, there's like – I like it, but there's like an inefficiency in it. Like you're definitely like throwing drag. <laughs> you're throwing the the least amount of drag that you can by st- with staying on the same side. Yeah. You know, a J stroke is is just like a little little hit at the end of the at the end of the forward stroke. It's not like a rudder where you're like boom and the yep. boat's just slowing down. Yeah. For people who aren't familiar with this, imagine that you're you're paddling along and you're paddling just how you'd imagine you're paddling, where your paddle is hitting the water 
perpendicular to in line. The blade is hitting the water perpendicular to the canoe. Yep. And it's just following the canoe along. Well, at the end, you put a little hook on it where you shoot the paddle. You, like, turn the paddle and shoot it slightly outward. Yep. Because the stroke is nudging it left, and that little hook on the end just pops the bow back. Correct. Can you right. explain why? Because it's... It's, I mean, I, I understand now why, right? But I think to a lot of people, it's like when I was learning to paddle a canoe, yeah. I'd be like, there's a guy, a person in front paddling the same kind of paddle that I'm paddling, yeah. and I'm in the back paddling. Yep. Why, and they're on the opposite side, why yep. still is my stroke more powerful in pushing the canoe to the left if you're paddling on the right? Uh, that's a good physics question that I don't know if I can answer the exact physics of it. Um but uh, yeah, typically the person in the front is is the motor. You think of right. them as the motor. They're pulling the boat they're along. Pulling. Yeah, yeah. And then in the back, um, for one, the stern seat is usually a lot closer to the end of the boat. So uh, in terms of leverage, you know, um, if you were to pull the front of the boat or the back of the boat left or right, it's going to move it significantly. Whereas if you're sitting mm-hmm. in the middle and you're trying to turn it, it takes a lot more force to sure. to turn that. Um, so, you know, if the boat is a lever, you're further away from the fulcrum uh, right. than the and person in the bow. Right, if that seat was right on the bow and he was stroking, it might turn the boat a lot more. That's a I good suppose, point. yeah. So, like, if you're in the bow and you need to move the boat a lot, you're going you're gonna to reach, reach forward. forward and out to try to um, make that happen. So that's something you do in whitewater. You're like, oh, shit, here comes a rock. And, you know, you're in the bow and you just <laughs> – you're it's super physical. You know, you're on your knees, which also allows you to move your paddle position a lot more than if you're locked on your seat. So, yeah, you're just further from the fulcrum and the stern. Mm-hmm. And then the other main stroke is the sea stroke, and that's kind of the opposite. Um, you're, you're pulling the, the water back, and then you do a little hook towards the canoe at the end. Yep. And that just kind of makes that, that – uh, uh, automatic movement of the boat in the opposite direction that much more profound. It's interesting um, that for a right-hander, both of those letters are backwards. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's Cyrillic. Speaking of pros, is the uh, person you were speaking of before Bill Mason? Yes. Bill Mason and the Canoeist Bible is Path of the Paddle. Yes. Ooh, okay. man. There we go. Yep. Thank you. That's yep. the voice of Brain Fart. esteemed <laughs> podcast producer, Corinne Schneider. Corinne, you haven't said anything yet today? Uh, Say chicharrones. <laughs> <laughs> chicharrones. Chicharrones. Saying uh, it the right way. <laughs> Corinne starred, um, had, had a starring role in our Christmas special. That was so fun. <laughs> How many miles have you paddled in your whole life? I've never done the math. Thousands. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Most of that in the Boundary Waters and the okay. Quetico. And your book's called The 29th Day. Yeah. What happens on the 29th day? Uh, we, bum, got a, bum, we had bum. breakfast, you know. It's a day off. You're taking a day off. <laughs> yep, it's a layover And, and what day. percent? You're, you're like, I don't know, what are you, like four-fifths done or three-fifths done? 29th yeah. day of a 42-day paddle? Yeah. Yeah, we're most of the way. Horrible at math. <laughs> I can't. I You're can't do simple math. We're most of the way. Um, you know, it's probably our third layover day of the trip. We took our first layover day twenty days in, so we we're paddling for three weeks before. We took so you just kind of watching your schedule and seeing how you're making along. Yeah, making and sure now that you just take a break. Yeah, yeah. Just you know recoup. how we feeling. Are we just totally bushed? Um, are we on track? Do we need to make up time? Yeah. So uh, you guys take a little break. Take a little break. Have some breakfast. Yeah. 
uh, layover day, I like to say, is is just one meal after the other. You know, you're just like, oh, let's have breakfast. Because you let's can't think eat about lunch. Enough. You can't eat enough, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like hiker's stomach where you're just like burning so many calories. You're like, I could eat nonstop and just still be hungry. So are you getting like you're losing weight, but like you're losing weight, but but your muscles got to be doing weird things. Yeah, like your legs are shrinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not moving too much with our legs, so and and you got to move a long distance in the flats to get anywhere. Uh, and so it's uh, yeah, you're just getting lean. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know your your upper body with a paddling trip just gets really efficient, and uh, you know your back muscles are are doing awesome because you're just doing thousands of paddle strokes every day. So. You know, those days of rest are, are super important um, in kind of recharging. But, uh, yeah, so this one we were camped on Princess Mary Lake, which is this enormous lake. Um, I can't remember how far across it was, you know, 15, 20 miles across from shore to shore. And we're camped on this island in the middle of it. And uh, we're a couple hundred yards up from shore, Um camped on a flat that's below this super steep ridge behind our campsite. And, uh, we have breakfast, we have lunch. And, uh, after lunch, the rest of the guys decide to go up to the top of this ridge behind our site. Um, it's the highest point around on the Island and the but it's just island's like a, the highest well, it's point around It's just like a rocky ass ridge, right? Yeah. But it's got like crowberry or what's up there. Uh, it's just kind of empty. There's like, I mean, cause like, the per the, the creature that winds up being up there is up there for a reason. Is it grazing on berries? Uh, I didn't see any berries. Uh, huh. I don't know exactly what it was doing up there, or if it was just kind of roaming looking for berries, you know. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, a even more stark landscape than the camp site that we had. Which yeah, was, you said it's like a lot of like bare rock up there. Yeah, bare rock. It's kind of like you know the summit. And you're, but it's a big ass island, right? In a freshwater lake. How big is the island? Uh, I think it's five miles end to end. What is that bear hmm. doing out there? I don't know. That's a that's one of the mysteries. And there's like muskox on the there. island. Yeah. <laughs> in a freshwater lake. It's so yep. weird. Yeah. Well, I imagine, uh, you know, when it's iced over a lot of the year, so it's easy for things to get back and forth. But I imagine yeah, they yeah. were getting uh, ashore, too. Yeah, yeah. The bear, he, I mean, he doesn't give a shit. He'll swim, but the musk, yeah. and muskox will swim, too. But Right. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, just they crossing on the ice without even thinking about it. Yeah. So and when you guys are little can, like bears, I get being afraid of. You yeah. guys are a little afraid of muskox. Yeah, like real afraid of muskox. They're, you got to respect them. I mean, there's they are ornery and powerful animals. They can fight off a grizzly attack. They've got this helmet of horns, and uh, it's just like this bone plate at the top of their head, and then the horns curl around in these kind of Viking style uh, helmets, and um, they'll mess you up. But and they'll charge to, at random. What does it take to set them off? I was just going to ask you. I mean, if you're, you know. Getting I mean, too close for comfort, pretty much. You know, if you get if you get too close to them, they're like, hey, get out of my business. Sure, um, but then you'd probably want to, I mean, you just keep your distance, but try right. like. Yeah, but then they show up in your camp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not up to you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or they just kind of like come out of, come out of nowhere, which is what happened for us. And no amount of hooting and hollering and pan clanging. <laughs> they're just going to come and graze in your camp. I guess. I mean, that was the only time that, that they were like, just didn't care about us. They just kept coming, uh, was later, later that day on that layover day. Um, but otherwise they were like, they would take note of us 
and like stare us down and say, hey, go, go about your business, go the other way. Or they'd look at us and, and turn away on their own. But um, I don't think there's a lot of thinking that's going on necessarily in Muskox. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of really slow plodding and, and grazing. And, uh, you know, they're just straight out of the ice age. I don't think they've changed. Very Buffalo-like, really, yeah. if you think mm-hmm. about it. And I think that you should probably treat them like you treat Buffalo, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you shouldn't go up and feed them <laughs> when you're in the parks. Yeah, don't put your little, kids on top of them. For plenty pictures. of videos on what happens when you do that. So <laughs> so you guys have the layover day. You're eating a whole shitload of food. Yep. Yep. Everybody's like, let's go up to the top of the ridge. Yep. And you say, I'm going to have a nap. Yeah. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm a little tuckered. I'm going to take a nap. You guys do your thing. I'm going to hang out here. So I retreat to the tent and curl up in my sleeping bag and... They go up to the top of the ridge and how far? How, how many yards up is the ridge? Uh, it's about a hundred feet of like steep climb, mm. pretty much. Hundred feet of elevation gain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, how, roughly like how many yards? How many yards? So it's a hundred feet of steep. So it's not. It doesn't take that long. Like how long does it take to climb up there? About ten minutes because okay. you got to kind of scramble back and forth. So it's cliffy. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's probably like 45 degree slope mm-hmm. um, and steeper in places. But yeah, you got to like traverse pick your, pick it. your way up. Yeah, and it's kind of chossy. You know, there's like scree and yep. some grass you know and whatever. That term? So, hmm? You know that I've term? I've heard that term, but I don't use that term. But you know what it means? What I does chossy mean? I know that it means it's, broken up, unsafe rock. Yeah, it's like crumbly, It's like gravelly. a climber term, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like scree would be a bigger yeah, version of it. For a rock that you don't want to <laughs> climb. <laughs> Yeah, you know who I think you, I, you know who trust. introduced me to that word is Dirt Myth. Uh, that could that yeah, big climber buddy of ours. Oh, nice. Yeah, but he uses it uh, like just you know like just like that. He'll talk about we'll talk about picking our way up through something. He'll say he'll say that word, and I'd be like, "What's that?" He goes, "Oh, it just is all. It's, it's not good. There's no integrity. Yeah, rotten. Yeah, let me start calling certain people chossy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, okay, so. You climb on up there. No, they all climb on up there. Yep. You go sleeping. Yep. Snoozing. <laughs> you sleep how long? I didn't know how long. And recently I was talking to Mike, one of the other guys on the trip. You friends with all these dudes still? Uh, I don't get to uh, talk with all of them just because, uh, you know, life takes you different yeah, places. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I keep in touch with, with most of them. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, good good guys. You kind of screwed your trip up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't try to. <laughs> Yeah, it changed. It changed significantly at that point. Um, but yeah, they they all went up there, and uh, and Mike said, "Yeah, three hours." They're up there three hours, so I was napping for three hours. What the hell are they doing? Oh, taking pictures and stuff. Taking pictures, hanging out, reading books. And I they mean, didn't notice a grizzly. No, I mean that's what's crazy. <laughs> that's that's one of the things that's, that's like, totally crazy that's like about what, this. When I was reading the book, I'm like, "Oh, I'm gonna get all five guys are up there moseying around, and no one takes note of on an island, right?" That's one of the, that's, it's five miles long though. Right? Yeah. But that's one of the things that's super just weird. Right. I mean, five guys, they're all kind of, you know, they're not all focused on one thing. It's not like they're up there filleting fish and paying no attention to what's around them. That's when the femmes join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they, uh, the farms had, we, you know, we said bye to them that morning. Uh, they stopped by and, um, and, uh, went on their way and we said, See ya. We're you're not going to see you for the rest of the trip because you're going to be a full day ahead of us. So, um, but uh, the guys were up on the top of this ridge for three hours. It's the highest point around. There's no trees anywhere that you can see. You can probably see 30, 50 miles in every direction. And it's like a dome of rock. Yeah. Yep. 
Can you see down to the water's edge? No trees too? Like from uh, where not, you are? Not in the direction towards camp. Not in the direction towards where we were camped. But in so other you can dir- see like, the, you can see towards away from us. You could see towards where the bear would have been coming from. Okay, so they had yeah. a blind spot. So whatever. I mean, yeah, stuff, va- yeah stuff vanishes, man. It's down in some little crevice or crack. Yeah, or, or behind a boulder or whatever. Yeah, whatever. There was a lot of debris up there in terms yeah, of Yeah, I don't want to make too much of a point of it, but just interesting. Because you, no, you wake up and grab no, your camera we, case. Just to make a point of it, it's like we've walked around the mountains for 10 days at a time looking for them and not, I can't find them. So. <laughs> right. So, I mean, you know, but, but you know, that kind of underlines the point of, like, why... Didn't we expect to see one up there? Because people were there <laughs> a few minutes before I showed up there. Yeah, because you wake up from your nap and you grab a little pelican case. The pelican case plays into this. You yeah. grab a pelican case and your camera gear. Yep, yeah. And go up and catch them on the way down. Yeah. So I, I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I got to get up to this ridge. I overslept because apparently you got to, you know, I had, I had someone to meet. I didn't know it, but <laughs> yeah. got up, grabbed my Pelican case, which had my camera in it. Yeah, you said you had like a weird sense of like having like slept too long and now yeah. your schedule's messed up. Or... Yeah, the sense of urgency, like I, I need to get up there. And Mike was saying that he kind of had the same thing about coming down. Oh, is that it's right? Like, I, we should leave, <laughs> which is weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, sixth sense or something. But uh, yeah, so I get my stuff. I... Um, start climbing up the ridge. Dan, our guide, is the he's the last one coming down. I met him halfway and talked about what was up there, and he's like, "Yeah, there's a Nookshook, and um, you know, it's just gorgeous." Like, explain it, Nookshook. Take a look. A Nookshook is a a stack of rocks um, left by, um, in this case, you know, Inuit or Native peoples. Um, it's used as like a place marker or a navigational aid or to commemorate something. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are used like for hunting. Um, so they would set up almost like a funnel. Kind of drive imagine lines. like a fish yeah, yeah. drive line or a fish trap in a, in rows um, to a, a narrower point so they'd like drive caribou herds towards that is my understanding. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I've seen some of those. And you guys yeah. are encountering a lot of like old mysterious rock structures all over yeah. through your trip. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. Um and a constant reminder that we weren't the first people there yeah. by any means. Um so this was just a soul um, a Solonukshuk that was up there. So um, we weren't sure exactly what it was, but it was, you know, the highest point around. So maybe it was just kind of marking that as a special spot. Um, so I talked with Dan and then continued up the ridge, made my way to the top where it flattened out to these rolling, rocky granite domes with the gravel and whatever. And just was walking up um, away from camp towards that Anukshuk and uh, walking up one side of one of those domes, and I didn't know it, but a 600-pound barren ground grizzly bear was walking up the other side of that dome, and we were walking straight towards each other. And you first register its presence how? I see this flash of brown fur at the edge, at the lip, and it's in my peripheral vision, and my head snaps up, and I'm just like, there's something here. And I think it's a muskoxen. <laughs> oh, shit. This is a muskoxen. And this is 30 feet away from me. Uh, so it's just way too close to be to any animal that you got to be careful of. And as soon as it kept walking, because it hadn't noticed me yet because I was above its sight line. Uh, but as soon as it came a little further, it noticed me too. And that's when I realized that it wasn't a muskoxen, but it was a bear. And it was just like worst case scenario. Oh shit! <laughs> why do you why do you feel that you know how much the bear weighed? Um, I 
made that estimate based on looking at bears uh, in captivity since then. I got you. Yeah, so I went to... Looking at things with known weights. Yeah, so part of my um, uh, self-prescribed um, getting over that uh, this whole situation was like to confront that fear. And um, for me, that was going and, you know, seeing grizzly bears in person. Um, so that was a challenge. But uh, seeing those bears in, in zoos, I was like, okay, well, that looks a lot like my bear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's totally, totally an estimate based on that. And when it sees you, it doesn't immediately be like, I'm going to maul that dude. No. The bear and I really had the same reaction, which was, what the hell am I looking at? And so we both just stopped and like kind of stepped back and, and appraised the situation for a moment. And during that time, uh, I flashed back to that training that we had at Minogen. I, I told myself not to run because that's the one thing that you really can't do is run. <laughs> and uh, I pictured the bear mace which we've <laughs> discussed was in the tent. Unfortunately, it wasn't on my person, which means it's totally useless. But I imagine taking it out of its holster, taking off the safety cap, aiming it and firing it, and would have would have been able to do that if I'd had it with me. You feel pretty confident. Oh, yeah. 30 uh, feet standing still staring at you. Yep. I mean, it was... You filled his eyeballs. Yeah. Time was moving fast, but, uh, you know, it was like... You think you would have fired it immediately, or would you have waited for the first charge that's a good question i would have mm, i would have waited for it to run away before firing it run away <laughs> hopefully <laughs> or run towards <laughs> you you mean no run it well sorry yeah let me correct myself i would have been ready to fire and then decided whether to fire based on if it ran away or ran towards me what yeah are, i'm with you I'm what with are you, you supposed to do are you supposed to kind of do the first aggressive like Worn off if there's enough distance. Are you? Because I wouldn't. You mean with, hand, the, with that thirty feet with a bear staring at you? <laughs> your hands up, look big, uh-huh. don't run. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, like, but not to be trifled with. And you spray. Oh well, well, and the, you know, wind is a factor too. If I felt like if I mean, you know, ask this guy. <laughs> he didn't have his bear spray. <laughs> Having had bear spray at 30 feet, I would probably hit it right away. Yeah. Right. I mean, what do you... Because you got mm-hmm. several seconds. I would blast. I would shoot a blast. I'd like to think I would. Yeah. Everybody likes to think they got... You know, I remember uh, Joe Rogan, we were talking one time, and he said, everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> right. That changes the game a bit. <laughs> so guys are always love to talk about what I would do. Yeah. Yeah, well... Yanni had the wherewithal to smack one with a trekking pole. Yeah. That was charging him. I heard that. Did I didn't that hear the happened? details. God, I think I would have a heart attack before it. You have a 30 foot trekking pole? <laughs> <laughs> Probably <All right>. not. <laughs> I'll get back to the bear. So here's the bear. Close. You guys are both like, holy shit, that's scary. Yep. And you start doing everything, yelling. Uh, not, not exactly at first. So our training uh, basically is uh, grizzly bears get small, make yourself non threatening. Um, black bears make yourself threatening, like assert your dominance is the training that we've had um, for our area. So it sounds like that differs a little bit from what you've been told. I mean, <laughs> what I'm, I'm saying, we've effectively run off, like we've effectively run off a lot of bears that were in that kind of like curious coming toward you sure. thing by, hey bear, hey bear, arms up. If there's multiple people, get close together. Just look like you're not coming at it. 
but I'm here. But you're like not a caribou calf. Yeah. Interesting. So, but, but you know, again, yeah. everybody's got plans until they get punched in the face. Yeah, and every situation <laughs> is different. You know, every bear is going to react a little bit differently to various stimuli. So mm-hmm. sure, sure. Yeah, I, I like I. I there's nothing worse than a than a, what I do in that situation. <laughs> <Armchair> quarterback, <laughs> grizzly bear, blowhard. So please do not think I'm laying that. No, on no, you. I'm uh, not. And, and what you did is what you did. Yeah, and you're sitting here right now. Yeah. So so part of our training, uh, like I said, with grizzlies is basically like to convey that you're not a threat, uh-huh. and that is backing away slowly, avoiding eye contact, talking to the bear, kind of to your point, making it making it understand that you're not its usual. Uh, yeah. Uh, thing it's going to run into. And so in my brain, uh, I've got all these different steps kind of running through my mind um, on what I'm supposed to do. And again, just really wanting to run. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near it, but I can't do that. So I just start backing away slowly, arms kind of down at my side. Hey, bear, whoa, bear, it's okay, bear. And my voice is shaking and the bear is, he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. He's looking at me. And it doesn't take very long at all. Um, and he goes into a, like a stationary bluff charge. So he launches on his front paws and, goes, <clears throat> and grunts at me. Yeah, he's uh, making a lot of noise, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I listened to your episode with Amber, and it sounds like she had a kind of similar uh, way that the bear was acting before it uh, decided to charge. Uh, and so it grunted at me, backing up slowly. And it basically faded from stationary bluff charges, just launching onto its front paws to like coming towards me and then stopping like six feet and then 10 feet. And I just keep backing up slowly. Like the bear's moving six feet, moving 10 feet. Yeah. And huffing. Yeah. Bluff charges. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading it and figuring out cause it, at first, you know, even with those bluff charges, it was still, it still felt like it was deciding exactly what it was going to sure, do. Yeah. Figuring You're like, out he hasn't charged me yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I keep backing up slowly, you know, just mind over matter telling myself, don't run, don't run, don't run. And it fades from those, uh, stationary and short bluff charges to a full speed charge. And it comes at me. Bears can run, you know, mid 30 mile an hour range. And <laughs> I'd increased our 30 foot distance by five feet <laughs> and, uh, keep backing up, keep talking he's keeping to it. pace with you. More than he's getting closer. Okay. So every, yeah. his charges are bringing him closer, closer, closer. Yeah. I mean, this is happening really fast. And, and like what's the I closest said, he got to you before you realized he was going to get you? Uh, probably like within 20 feet, about 15. Okay. Oh my yeah. Where he's like, like, I feel like I can see his decision shift to, okay, now I'm going to, now I'm going to come at this thing. And, you know, I faded from Hey Bear, Whoa Bear to, you know, at this point yelling obscenities and help and, and. Yeah. And very likely, like if you think of the <laughs> landscape, like quite likely the first person that this he's, bear he's ever had any kind of close encounter with. Right. Yeah. He's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. And like, I don't know how old this bear was or people have asked, you know, was it male or female? And I have no idea. There were no cubs. It was just the bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just trying to figure out what it's supposed to do. And, you know, at that distance, fight or flight is pretty, I mean, it's kind of. <laughs> what color is it? Really close. Real blonde? Uh, lighter tan, like a little bit darker than blonde. Uh-huh. Yeah. Long um, hair? Yeah. Not well, like shaggy, yeah. but like um, 
I don't know how long it would be, but kind of middle, middle length, I'd say. Um, blowing in the wind kind of a hair? A little bit. Like the tips would be blowing in the wind. Oh, you have little peaks, I'm peaks of the yeah. fur, you know? Yeah. It's not like hanging off. It's kind of sticking out, kind of spiky. So at some point at 15 feet, you see something in his head shift. Yeah. And then he's coming at me full speed. And and you pelt him? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that didn't happen yet. I was okay. just like, oh shit, this is going to be, this is going to end poorly. And as it gets within that range, like I can feel the ground shaking under my feet from its paws because that gallops just like ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. And it's, it's growling at me and... Um, do the no like do the noise like how loud it's doing the noise. I don't think I can. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, I'll do a noise. And you tell me if it's louder or quieter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it's louder than that. Louder than that. Yeah. Well, did I have the right sound? Uh, more projecting. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. No, that sounds know. like a dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, Johnny. <laughs> I remember the noise. <laughs> Yeah. That's how you remember it. That's I don't remember, I remember a noise. It. Oh, bullshit. It was like anyways, gr- grunting, guttural roar. Really? Was just roar? Like, yeah. I mean, like, impulses. It wasn't just, like, nonstop. You know, it was like... I, kind of a Oh, sound. that was good. Yeah. That was good. It came to me. <laughs> okay. So the sound is like... So also here he's coming. Yeah. He's galloping. The ground's a shaking. Yeah. Yeah, and when he's... Uh, and you're like, I'm dead now. I'm dead now. And at this point... Uh, my conscious decisions are kind of done mm-hmm. and my brain is doing everything on its own. Yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or... You open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dogs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on Onyx, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them. Okay, 
comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And when it was five or 10 feet from me, I had that Pelican case with, you know, a Nikon DSLR with a couple lenses and whatever else I needed to run the, run the camera for the whole trip. So it's like 15 pounds. And uh, it's the only time I'll throw my camera. (laughs) (laughs) Generally, generally don't like to throw your camera. (laughs) I typically don't throw it. uh, And uh, I was a really bad throw at the time. So I, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, but I did throw my camera. You've practiced since? (laughs) Not with the same projectile. Uh, I'm a lot better thrown now, though. Um, But I wound back and threw it underhand, like I said, just, you know, on instinct. And uh, it flies towards this galloping bear, and it hit it square on the nose with enough force to turn its head all the way to the side. So it pushes this bear's head to the side. It grunts like, oh, like I just punched it. Really? Yeah. And... The pelican case goes flying over its shoulder, tumbling off behind it. The bear's momentum keeps going at the same pace, um, but it can't... So he's like, you son of a bitch. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't like that, but he couldn't see me for a couple steps. And like five to ten feet, I mean, that's... that's Turn turn his head. I mean, he didn't want to turn his head. You ever see the video of that dude punching that kangaroo? (laughs) No. Oh my God, it's my my kid's favorite video. Yeah, he turns his head on a kangaroo like in (laughs) slow-mo. Turns like, head like a person getting punched. Oh, yeah. The yeah. bear had a plan until it got punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, his plan was the bluff charge. <laughs> yeah, it didn't feel like that, which I've heard is how it feels. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know if he could have stopped at that distance. But it didn't, like, speed. slow his run. No, his run just kept coming. His gallop kept oh, going. But he couldn't see where I was, and he couldn't, like, you know, uh, roundhouse me at that mm-hmm. point because he didn't know. <laughs> what to hit but I jumped out of the way again on instinct and dodged it like bullfighting style as this bear is running past me and, and he just misses you he just misses me yeah I, I mean I just jump out of the way right at the last second like his momentum carried him past me and then you know his head swung around by this point and he's flailing trying to get at me and as soon as he passes me he stops and change, changes direction so fast like faster than I would have ever imagined that an animal like that could move they're incredibly powerful. Uh, turns around and comes at me again, 
and I do the same move other than throwing the camera case at it. Is it, is it, it mouth, ammo. its mouth <laughs> open? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, like trying, it's trying to grab you or? Well, it was like half open, like at the ready, right? Yeah, and yeah. then as it would come at me, it would use its paws and use its jaws to try to get me. So it came at me again and I jumped out of the way and uh, it missed me again. Clean um, miss. I don't know if that one was clean. It, that's uh, uh, no teeth. Some claws start to hit me at that, you know, okay. these, these passes. But that's what that's what like blew me away in reading. And then the description is like a it's a, like a very lengthy, like detailed <laughs> description of yeah, the fact that you could that you dodged it a couple times. It was crazy, and it had to actually turn around and come back at you. Yeah, yeah. So only kind of makes it worse. <laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, I you know in my mind, like, how long am I going to be able to do this? <laughs> well, right, and it's like you know I'm not even deciding to do this, but as yeah. my brain's thinking through it, it's like holy shit, I just dodged it. <laughs> not yeah, like oh sweet, re- I'm going to make it. But you're like, <laughs> reacting at this point. You're not making conscious right. decisions. Yeah, exactly. I'm wearing chacos. I've got sandals on. <laughs> <laughs> which are like really nice for being nimble, but you know, my feet are all exposed and everything yeah. and just not prepared for this. So did the thought of uh, playing dead and cu- like curling up into a ball and protecting vitals, like the back of the neck and, and your, your core, did that ever come through your head? Um, it, it didn't. I mean, that is part of what you're supposed to do. Like if mm-hmm. it makes contact with you, you know, play dead, protect your, like lay on your, on your stomach and put your legs out and put your fingers interlaced behind your neck to protect your spine and all that stuff. Um, which maybe it's, you know, you have a plan until you get punched in the face sort of a scenario. But um, it it felt like if I did that, then it was just going to do some real damage, which, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I and don't it, know. But you do get punched in the face. I do get punched <laughs> in the face. So I dodged it a couple more times where I was able to, uh, quote, successfully dodge it, meaning that it didn't bite me. But and maybe the you're getting raped. Like, hard. you don't know, but maybe you're getting, like, scratched up. Oh, I, I know at this point that I'm getting scratched. You know, like he's I feel, hitting with his claws. He's hitting me with his claws down my arm, down my back. I can feel it, and it feels like I'm just getting laid open. Um, okay. Like, as soon as it hits me. But, you know, your adrenaline's whining at the red line, red line, and you're just moving super fast and bears moving faster and every time we got closer and closer every time i dodged it and so the next time it uh its head is now close enough where it can just like turn and, and bite my leg and it, it goes to bite my leg and uh again super fast and just like we're all spinning around each other and i pull my leg out of the way at the last second and the jaws snap shut right next to my leg and at that same moment it reaches up with its paw and swipes me across the face and just smacks you just bam yeah, yeah. And you were saying you, it was like as hard as you could just ever imagine being hit. Yeah. With the flat pad. Yep. Yeah, I, I saw the pad when it was a couple inches from my face, and it was like a millisecond where my brain's like, oh, no. And it was uh, – I, I compare it to like a board wrapped in leather that's just on a hydraulic arm. It's just swinging, and when it hits my head, it just doesn't react at all. It's like swatting a bug out of the, out of the, out of the air. And huge amount of power. My head whips to the side, and I went flying to the side. And that's when I—that's when I truly realized, like, there was nothing physically that I could do to fight this bear. It's just so much more. Like powerful. you weren't gonna wrestle it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No fisticuffs. And uh, did that take you off your feet when he hit you in the face? Yeah, clean, clean off my feet. Like threw me to the side. I'm midair, and then that same paw. Caught me like around the hip and and threw me down to the ground on my tailbone, and then again like in that same motion I'm down on the ground and its head is is now right at my right at my thigh 
and uh, people are like, so the adrenaline rush take care of the pain? <laughs> and it didn't. It, uh, I felt its teeth go in both sides of my leg. So and he then, just open mouth all the way around your leg. Yeah, top of my thigh. Latches right on. Right below the pelvis. Searing pain. Yep. Latches And this on. is where, like, this part <laughs> of the story is where, where the playing dead thing gets really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't play dead. No. I, uh... But here he is. He's, like, <laughs> clearly coming to get you. Yeah. He's got a lot of energy into getting you. Yeah. He's hit you, scratched you. Yep. Grabs your leg. Yeah, I've been screaming the you know last couple of passes, yelling no and help, and and all of a sudden you <laughs> blackout. <laughs> yep, vasovagal response. Mm-hmm. It uh, bites me. And it's just like a switch, and I'm out. And it's just black. How much time so, do you think goes by when you black out? I don't think it was long, but uh, I was just so sure I was about to die, and so it's just like this really surreal sensation. To have the switch turn off. you think that saved you? I mean. Oh. I mean, well, that's, that's, what, that's when it gets interesting, man. Because so, but, but let me, let me focus on the bite a minute. Yeah. Um, was the, when he bit you and he's yeah. kind of like biting you at the seam of your leg. Yeah. Right where the leg joins the, the hip, the pelvis right below that. Yeah. Like right in that whole junction. Your yeah. Your scroll, your femoral <laughs> artery. Yeah. The groin, you could call it. The groin. Yep. Yeah. Um. <laughs> are, are, do you think like that's a fatal bite or aren't you that clear uh i mean to me it was like this is the end yeah. i wasn't like you know oh i've got all this all this really crucial material there that uh that can be the end it was just like i am about to die because this will not be the only injury right. this bear is gonna do mm-hmm. much more to me and yeah i'm not gonna yeah. dodge it once i'm laying on the ground <laughs> and you pass out <laughs> and i pass out and I played that incredibly effectively. <laughs> In Michigan, we call that playing possum. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. But you, you know what? You know it's aptly named because yeah. I didn't know this till I was talking to our, trees, right? our colleague Sam Lundgren. Um, playing possum is not intentional. Yeah. They're not like ha. I'll play possum. They yeah. like just get overwhelmed and <laughs> yeah, go so, into a state. Like it's not like it's not voluntary. Sure. He goes into a state. Yeah, so very similar. Yeah, they become overcome and just go into a state. Yeah. Isn't like that when when animals like are attacked by a predator and then go limp and it's not yeah. that you're necessarily the dead. Equivalent, it's like yeah, you, you just go limp out. and yeah. yeah, it's an evolutionary yeah. defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So it how, worked. <laughs> how long do you think you passed out for? Do you have any estimation? My estimation is not long at all. My total mm-hmm. time away from camp was really short. <laughs> Oh, that's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe not minutes. Yeah. Right. Could have been less than minutes. Could and, have been minutes. And what position do you wake up in? Uh, fetal position face down, like 180 mm-hmm. degrees mm-hmm. from how I oh, lost. Oh, fetal position face down, like some kind of yoga thing or like, like you're on your side, <laughs> yeah, but your right, face like, is turned. Like child's pose. Um, just show me real quick. like child's pose. <laughs> yeah. I, I want you to get down and just show me. <laughs> I mean, like in my mind... And I was a little disoriented when I came too, but it was just like, okay, he's down. He's rising from his seat. <laughs> he's getting he's child's like, pose, everybody. Okay. He's on his knees. He's, oh, really? Oh, yeah, that's, that's how you woke up? That's child's that's, pose. Yeah, child's pose. But in the air. Again. That's and, a strange position to wake up in. Yeah. Like, that's curl, like, a, like, that's like an ball. awake. That's like an awake. I, when, I thought you meant that you 
somehow were like fetal position, like you're sleeping on your side in the fetal position, but your face was cocked down into the tundra. Yeah, no, I, uh, as far as I can tell, it it was that like curled in a ball, face down, knees and knees and elbows and face down to the ground. And you open your eyes and what do you see? Uh, the world's kind of spinning (laughs) and And there's a bear standing and then I see the horizon (laughs) and then I see that the bear is still there, but it's running away at a trot and it's checking me out as it goes. And at this point. I, I regained consciousness. At the I'm point like, when he could have oh, had at the point when he had you like he had you dead to rights. Yep. Let the feast begin. <laughs> well, and that's the that's the key difference between like a predacious encounter yeah. and a defensive encounter. No, that's what gives such credence to like the playing dead thing is that some bitch <laughs> goes through all that and it really You know like someone tells you something and you like don't believe and then later you're like, yeah. Oh no, he really did. It's he like right. he was like, I've I'm sorry. <laughs> I found you threatening. Um, I you had to punch st- you. You stopped being threatening, and I and I left. I mean, right. like my bad. Yep. You seemed threatening. Yeah. <laughs> That's all this was. Exactly. You know, and that and that kind of lines up with how it acted throughout the encounter too. It's like, what am I dealing with yeah, here? Should like, I smack? What do, this what do thing? I do? Yeah. And, and also so, he went quiet, limp. But he's like, eh. "Yeah, all right, drop my job's cool. done. I gotta go. I gotta put some ice on my snout <laughs> from that pelican case." <laughs> and as so, at this, you, like you don't know. I mean, he could come back and get you. Oh yeah, I was absolutely terrified that was about to happen. So I played dead consciously at that point. Totally averted my eyes so I could just see him. Yeah, wait for him to go completely. Like I said, he's just watching me the whole time. And are you feeling um? What's your understanding of your injuries at this point? You're like so out of it. Uh, my feeling, my my feeling slash understanding is I don't care because <laughs> I was. Well, you felt very alive. Yeah, I was so sure I was about to die, and then it was like getting a second chance. Like, was it euphoria? It it was. Yeah, I was wow. just totally totally euphoric, like so excited that I was seeing things again, and then when I saw that bear again, it was like back to dread. <laughs> oh shit it's still here like what's it gonna do now so i just was you know my mission at that point was do everything that i could to make it not think that i was back in the fight Mm -hmm. make it think that its job really was done and that it was able to leave um but i was absolutely terrified that it's gonna be like you know what it needs a little bit more tossing around or whatever yeah i'll go back and shake that thing and eat it yeah yeah which you know sometimes happens what's weird too about it and about bears in general is um it's eaten all manner. You have to assume it's killed and eaten muskox calves. It's scavenged muskox carcasses, mm-hmm. kills and eats caribou calves, scavenges carcasses, eats marmots, whatever the hell it gets hands on. Right. And here it's got like 150 pounds <laughs> of still warm protein that hasn't showered in months. Yeah, like, like, what is their comprehension of, like, two days later, would it have gone back up there and ate you? You know what I mean? Like, what is this comprehension of, like, what's food and not food? It's like, I killed this big thing. Yeah. It's made out of meat, but I will continue my wanderings to look for little ground squirrels and and lemmings and (laughs) patches of berries. And whatever else comes around. Yeah, like, that's not food. Right. Well, I mean. That's the, that's what's so, like, bizarre about what is in their head. Well, and that's that's like, like why are you not food? That's the difference, right, between a, a a healthy bear and a and a bear that's not getting enough food or that's sickly. You know, it's it looked good. 
like this bear did not look scrawny. You know, it was well built. Yep. Um, you just didn't smell right. I didn't smell right. I'm you sure that's the case. On. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not what it normally perceives as food. Yeah, I don't. You know, look like that. Yeah, it, it like just. That. It's so curious. Like, what makes it? Uh, what that decision process is like. I have a feeling it relates a lot to you know what happened before this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, is it? Is it? Is everything going well? You know, for this bear, or is it in dire straits? Yeah. Is it going to use this opportunity to have a meal, or is it just going to get away because? You know, it wasn't looking for a meal. Or yeah, like the something about the scenario was alarming enough to it and yeah. unusual enough right. that it just wasn't in a like eating mood. It was in a save myself, right. protect myself and get out of here. Like, I don't know what this is. Right. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Here's my window of opportunity to get away. Right. Yeah. That's how and I And he's as scared it. as you are. Yeah, exactly. So it turns and goes and it disappears over the ridge and i can't remember i feel like you thought to grab your camera yeah for some reason i was like <laughs> you went over and got your I camera gotta, i have i had things i brought up with me i gotta bring my things back <laughs> i love it. that's a great that says a lot about you that you taught you thought to go get your camera very uh practical in that situation and then you haul ass yeah then i haul ass and i'm just checking my six the whole time trying to make sure that it's not coming back and, and you realize your feet are bleeding my feet are bleeding. I didn't realize that until I was down, coming down the ridge to camp, but I knew that my leg was screwed up because it, uh, it hurt quite a bit, and I checked it and thought it was covered in blood. It was just covered in bear saliva. <laughs> Turned tail and started going back to camp because I was like, I need to get back there before my adrenaline rush wears off because I knew I was significantly injured. Yeah. I just didn't know what those injuries were and, you know, if I had a clock ticking or whatever. Um but and that he's going to come back and kill you. Right, yeah. I definitely felt like I had that <laughs> thing to worry about. So I needed to get back to the guys, back to the bear poppers, back to the bear spray and everything that, all the support that I had back there. So. Describe the wound. Like, you get down and they strip you. Yep. They kind of run up to meet you. You're screaming like, holy hell. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so they all are starting to get, you know, all this stuff, and, and they come up to get me and, and help carry me down the last little bit because by the time I got to the bottom, I couldn't move my leg anymore. And I had scrapes and bruises all over, um, but uh, the main wound was right at the top of my leg there. One of the canines went into full depth of the tooth uh, in a puncture wound right at the that joint between my leg and my hip girdle, a uh, quarter inch from my femoral artery. Um Jeez. That you, if you had hit that, you'd have been. That's it. Yeah, I probably would have. Because there's no, you can't. As, as we, as you explain in the book, you explain all the complications, but there's no like immediate source of help. Right. Serious yeah. help. Yeah, and I mean, even if there had been an immediate source of help, immediate's like hours. Yeah, yeah, and and a femoral bleed is minutes, three ish minutes. You know, good a good uh, illustration of that's Black Hawk Down when he, you know, they're trying to uh, put some <laughs> hemostat on the. Yeah. On the femoral bleed from that, it's just like spurting and you bleed out really fast. Um, so that would have been really bad. Right next to that puncture wound, that same canine had pushed in to the full depth but hadn't um, – wasn't a puncture wound. It was just a really bad compression wound with some surface injuries um, that compressed all the tissue and did some serious damage to the muscle um, but wasn't like bleeding. And I had several more of those wrapping around my thigh from the other teeth. So – the whole my whole leg had been in its mouth, but it was really um, just the main puncture was the source of bleeding, which was super lucky. 
because we were able to control it pretty well. But what happened, like, I don't understand, like, what happened to the tips of your toes? Do you not have any idea? I, I don't. Like I said, I was wearing sandals, and uh, the tips of my left uh, big toe and the, and the adjacent toes were just, like, sliced clean off, like, avulsions. Um, my buddy Ronnie hates sandals. He's going to love this. Because <laughs> he doesn't like them, because what if there's a volcano? Yeah. Or you get attacked by a grizzly. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. This is going to be like, this is going to back him up. You want to be nimble in that situation. <laughs> we, we often have a debate about whether sandals are okay or not, because yeah. how are you going to defend your family? And we got a great email from a guy who uh, wound up being in a microburst, oh. which like felled like 200 trees on his property and Whoa. all this crazy and damaged his house. Yeah. And he was out in his sandals when it happened. Yeah. And he did everything as he should do. And only later, after this whole thing played out, someone's like, where's your shoes? And he realized he'd done it all barefoot. And his take is it doesn't matter. When it really matters, yep. it doesn't matter. Yep, exactly. Like he had no idea. Yeah. That he'd done all this like crazy shit. Yep. Barefoot. Yeah. Never occurred to him. You don't think about He's it. He's like, when, when it matters, it. you know, what you got on your feet, you're right. going to do what you need well, to do. Well, anywhere it could play in, though, is if you did receive some injuries from having sandals on, like Alex did, and then you had to continue on and you weren't at your house and in a town mm-hmm. yeah it, it could play into the you should have had steel toe I, I, boots. i'm guessing especially if you're on a rocky hillside rocks can be sharp yeah and you're getting tossed around and you're jumping left and right you very yep. easily could have i mean it wouldn't be hard right now to go outside and take your shoes off and kick a rock and probably right. and probably you know replicate the same right. injury. that's or, not what i think happened <laughs> What's your theory? I think that when you were passed out, he very delicately <laughs> nip, took his teeth and just nipped off the end of some and of your then, toes. And then he tasted Maybe. badly, and that's and he's why like, he ran off. Ugh, yuck, feet. I'm going to run out of here. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah, that's a valid sh- theory. You should have looked around next to your pelican case. Your toe tips are probably there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now a raven probably ate them. At yeah. this point at the bottom of the hill, yeah. they strip you down. Yep. Are you now... Um, how how with it are you at this point? I'm super with it. Um, so are you like I will live? Well, I was like I'm pretty sure I'm going to live, but I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Dan because he knows better than me. <laughs> Dan, about, am I going to live? <laughs> am I going to live? Famous yeah. Dan. And, and I think that's you know a quote in the in the book, and he's like, yeah, you're you're going to live. I'm like, okay, good. I, I was pretty sure, but I just need to check. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, but you still got to be shaken. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, uh, just terrified and coming down off of a you know crazy adrenaline rush yeah um and coming off of that you know i almost pass out again and um but uh you know one of the important things when you're um assessing someone who's just had something crazy happen that you know they're not positive what'll happen is making sure that they don't have hidden injuries somewhere or or distracting injury that's making you miss what the important thing is so <clears throat> he did a good job of um, doing that full assessment and making sure that yep these are the thing these are the things that that are going on right now. So, did during the attack did you lose your sense of time or does it seem like things played in the way they should have played? So, like when you review it, yeah, does it seem like it took too long or went too fast or does it feel normal to you? It feels normal with the exception of the um, lapse in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like that, there's just no actual sense of time. Uh, it's kind of like when you go to sleep, you know, you might wake up and feel like you slept for a minute and you've actually been asleep for a super long time. So I had no actual sense for that. But the rest of it plays in real time. What was different was um, 
my senses and my thought process were just going so fast. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have to wait for my brain to think through things. Um, it was either helping me just make conscious decisions so quickly or making decisions for me based on, you know, whatever it thought was best. <laughs> uh, after we had a run in with a bear, it wasn't anything like yours because no one got hurt. Um, good. It, it inspired me to read a little bit about, uh, how time passes during like near death experience moments, yeah. right? Um, extremely high stress moments. And there's these different responses, which is um, you can become fixated on a detail. Yeah. And miss a lot. Tunnel vision. Or you can become aware of general pandemonium and not have details. Uh, the lapses in how time works is later like like you're, you're sense that it went fast or i saw my life flash before my eyes some people think it's something that gets laid over in memory and that you probably didn't experience it that way but you can't when you go to remember it everything compresses or not because of all the things that you missed when you were fixated on a detail or were living like a detailless environment meaning when if you fall off a roof and land on the ground and you recollect what the fall was like, that's probably not what the fall was like. It Interpolating. Gets yeah, it gets confused when you try to explain mm -hmm. the event. Right. Because the event didn't play out like yeah. it, it took away your, your sense of self-awareness. Like your, your, your mental system went out the window. The whole way you calibrate your experiences and understand the passage of time, like you were in a, in a situation that made no sense to you. And so all the things you normally do to sort of like keep your equilibrium so to speak in life are are shed and it was saying that when they're trained like like people that are training like first responders and things is if you imagine you come to a horrible there's been an explosion and you come into the explosion and there's a severed arm um but there's still catastrophe playing out around you getting people to be like there's a severed arm but i will still be aware of the fact that there's a building that's going to fall right or there's a person that that arm came from. Yeah. And not that you come in and you only see that or that you come in and you're just overwhelmed by the immensity of all the things that make no sense to you and, and you see nothing. Right. Like, and I think that like what kind of person you are there. Uh, I became interested in that because I feel like the different people in our group, <clears throat> when we had uh, an experience like this, different people in our group revealed to be different versions. Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm the shitty version. <laughs> I'm, I, I was detail. Okay. Just a, a detail. One detail. One detail. Yeah. One, like, one crystalline detail yep. is what I have in my head. Yeah. And I can't fill the experience in because all I have in my head is one thing that was probably. Right. It was probably like a flash. <laughs> but in my mind, that drug on for an eternity. Yeah. Right. And so I look back and I can't make sense of the time. I can't understand other people's experiences. I just have this like thing. It's so yeah. annoying. Yeah. But that's and there were major things going on around me that I was completely unaware of. Yeah. But I think in, in a sense, everybody had that too. Everybody had a version. Nobody recollects what anybody else did in those two seconds. Yeah. You became, everybody became singular in focus. Together you are one. Singular brain. in focus meaning everybody <laughs> knew their own experience. Yeah. But other people had a chronology had at least a personal chronology right 
I don't even have a personal chronology. To me, it was a thing. It was yeah. an image. And the image started and the image ended and it was over. Other people are like, oh, no, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. I have no idea what you were doing, but I know what I was doing. Yeah. But I lost it all. It's like in reading about your thing, like you, you have whatever you did, you developed maybe in recollection, like a pretty like this happened, that happened, this happened, this happened and deliver it in a pretty plausible way. Yeah. And that was, I mean, there's so much of it that's just incredibly vivid in my memory. Um, and then there's a lot of it that I had to dig super deep for the recall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the real challenges in writing it was, was uh, going back to that spot uh, in my mind and just pulling those memories out of the deep storage that some of them were, were hidden in. Um, that's what I was going to ask about because the, the way that you write, it's so detailed. Yeah. I mean the, you know, from being in the moment with a memory to, and I was going to ask, I know that you kept a journal on this, but you know, is recall different from, and we can't really know from right. from the exact moment that you're experiencing, you know, how the wind feels against your skin or the smell of something that you recall and then and then articulating kind of the play by play in such great detail. At, yeah. You know. Yeah, and that I mean, that was uh um one of the I mean that's always the challenge with writing memoir especially. And that journal was incredibly valuable for me. I journaled, you know, throughout the trip. So I had a very uh, accurate log of every single meal we ate. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and, and the peanut more. Sauce. Uh, gado, gado, yeah, peanut sauce. Yeah, I gave you a lot. There. And then you also had people there too. Yeah. So, I'm so sure that was um, valuable. I don't want to, I don't want to like, uh, I got a couple more questions for you. Sure. But first I want to just explain one thing. How many miles, at this point, how many miles are you from the nearest piece of aircraft? Um, we're, we have like over a hundred miles of paddling left. And then it's like, I think it was, it was like 65 ish miles from the nearest aircraft, but there wasn't an aircraft available there. So it's like, like hundreds of miles to a helicopter. Yeah. I mean, wherever the nearest one from that would have been at that point, I suppose, which, uh, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know. One of the other settlements down Hudson Bay, which I don't even know which one the next one is. Might have had an aircraft. Yeah. The reason I bring this up is I don't want to, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. I just want to know, like, I, I want to leave the chronology to be that here you are. Right. You've been mauled. Yeah. What next? And <laughs> the things that play out. Yeah. After this. Yeah. Um, we'll leave. Okay. But what I want to know uh, as my last question, yeah. uh, how do you perceive grizzly bears now does it really bother you the idea that someone would hunt a grizzly bear because of this happening like hunt this specific grizzly bear no. do you do you, like do you find that you like would be like generally i'm uneasy with people hunting because it's a contentious thing did it yeah. make you be like i respect them so much or do you feel that they're they're an animal as long as there's healthy populations do you think of it as being like a mythic creature now is it like like what's your forget that part of it forget like whether people should hunt them or not i guess yeah. let's start with this like how do you view, not that bear, but how do you view bareness now? Yeah. Is it sacred? Uh, I have a tremendous respect for bears. Um, sacred, I mean, I would probably put my bear on that mm-hmm. <laughs> spectrum. Um, you know, I, for me personally, I don't, I don't think I could hunt a bear myself. And you said um, you didn't want them to kill that bear. Right. 
That's a real common thing I've found with people. Yeah. Not, no, I shouldn't say common because a lot of people get mauled by Barrett and kill it. Yeah. But um, in the moment. Yeah. But later. Sure. I mean, oh, in the moment, I, I would have defended myself. There's like a sense of forget. <laughs> there's a sense of forgiveness that seems to set in with people. Yeah. About a particular animal. Yeah. I mean, you know. The bear that mauled Amber that we had yeah. on. Yeah. That bear is dead now. You know. Yeah. I think I, I listened to that. I happened to listen to that episode where you guys discussed that. and then, She know, didn't want it to be killed, but it's, it, yeah, it's, it's dead. Yeah. And I mean, once that's the, that's the real challenge with bears is, um, you know, once they start having these human encounters, like it can, it can just have such a detrimental effect on those bears. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can lead to, you know, more and more problems and, and eventually the bear having to be destroyed, which is, you know, too bad. But I this mean, one just vanished into the landscape. Mine just vanished. Yeah. They went out and looked and they looked for it. And uh, they were going to see how it responded to people, basically determine if it was going to be a problem bear and then take, you know. I like the strategy you explained for that. Well, what we do (laughs) is we have a person go up to it. Bob here. (laughs) We'll see how it acts when Bob goes up on it. And Bob's quick with a shotgun. (laughs) Bob was quick with a a firearm. But uh, I I think back on on that explanation, I'm like, really? (laughs) Is that actually what you guys do? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a very odd way to uh, do that. But, you know, at the same time, it it's was also, gone. yeah, they didn't have to do that. So didn't have to worry about it. So I like to think that it's still out there and, you know, doing its thing. It could have done a lot more to me. I mean, you know, to earlier points, it, it could have uh, decided that I was a meal or it could have, you know, uh, bitten chunks out of me or, or maimed me for life or, or, Killed me straight up, um, but it didn't, and uh, I'm incredibly appreciative of it for that. And uh, ultimately, it was just a bear being a bear and doing bear things in its own habitat. So it didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. Yeah, Yanni, got any follow-ups? <laughs> yeah. Um, how, I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit, but. Tell me how, like, how do you think it affected everybody else on the trip? I mean, Dan's yeah. like a major player, right? Because he's yeah. sort of, he really has to take over at this point yeah. as the trip leader. Yeah. But like your four buddies that are your age, like, are they like, holy shit now? <laughs> I can't sleep because we know there's a bear right near us and there could be more of these down the, you know, waterway that we might come up on some more. Like, how did it change their experience for the remainder of the trip? Yeah, I mean it's um it dramatically changes the trip, right? I mean the focus is different, the sense of uh vulnerability is totally different and mm-hmm. the and the responsibilities are are pretty different too. So, I mean all of those guys had a lot of extra uh pressure on them to deal with that. Um and they handled it well. Um you know, they rose to the occasion and and helped helped us get to where we needed to get and um uh, dealt with it a lot, but I'm very cognizant of the fact that from that point on, it was just a very different trip. Um, and I'm sure that they were seeing things differently at that point. Yeah. Um, cause it's pretty. <laughs> and I would imagine at the humbling. time that they, even though they rose to the occasion, maybe they did or did not like seize the moment and just say, this is how it is. You know, it's, it's hard to do that sometimes, especially as a 17 year old, but I'm guessing now looking back on it, yeah. I'm not saying they're happy you got bit by a bear, but right, like that's the kind of experience that uh like really can build the person. Yeah, I mean it's incredibly transformative, you know, for me and for those guys. I mean, you know, just just being a support person uh 
to a situation like that is um, it sticks with you forever. I mean, it's kind of like with search and rescue and whatever. You're not the person that's um, you're not the victim, um, but you're there making a difference in this situation that's just like incredibly unique and and very elemental, and that's very transformative. Right. I got another question. Are you glad you got attacked by the bear? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I'd say I was glad I got attacked no, by a bear. No, are you now glad you got attacked by a bear? Forget That's, the book. Yeah. I like, mean... Like, 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 try to remove the book. But yeah. Because I wrote a book. Yeah. Remove the book. I mean, I would... It, it. I'd be a different person if I hadn't been. Um, so in a lot of ways, I feel like it was um, grounding and helped me to kind of um, appreciate everything in life just that much more. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> It's hard to say, like, yeah, I enjoyed getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> no, no, but, but I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, we're a product of our experiences, sure. right? You know, uh, would I go back and do that trip again? Absolutely. Um, would I take precautions to change how that situation would have gone? Yes. <laughs> gotcha. So, um, but I mean, it's an experience that has been incredibly important to me and directional in my life. Um, so it's, hard to think about that not being there. Corinne, what you got? Um, I'm curious about the trauma of it all um, and yeah. that there's there's a lot there so we can make this short and wrap it up. But I'm curious about that and if um, you, you've kind of been – if you define yourself as and are kind of defined by others as like the bear attack guy. Right. Like, And if that has colored everything else – Afterward, yeah. even though that was a singular and unique experience. Right. And it's a super short experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that trauma took a little while to kind of um, categorize in my brain and kind of put, put where it needed to go. Um, while I was still out in the woods, you know, it was just like bears everywhere. <laughs> Not literally, but I was perceiving them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I talked earlier about one of my steps was to kind of get myself back into situations that would um, help me overcome barriers that I was now experiencing. You know, going to zoos and actually seeing live grizzly bears was one of them. Um, getting back out into the woods uh, in a in a way that I had enough support around me that I could do that and, and go through that evolution of, of uh, fear to kind of having control of the situation and everything. Uh, my family and friends were really important for that. Um, and that took several years of kind of easing back into it. And I looked like Rambo for the first couple of years going back to the boundary waters. It's like, why do you need a tactical vest and a machete and a <laughs> bear mace? And is that a club? I didn't carry a club, but you had a, you had a mace. I had, yeah, right. Yeah. Like a spiked mace. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you control what you can. And, and I, I never wanted it to define me in the sense of like, I can't go do these things anymore. So I was very intentional about going back out there and doing those things. Getting back in the race, man. Yeah, exactly. Get back up on the horse and, um, you know, being comfortable with the fact that I might be uneasy or my experience might be different at this point. But, um, you know, managing my risks appropriately and then getting back out there. Um you know, when I this, I was 17, I went, right. I started my senior year of high school uh, three weeks after I was attacked. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. You know what you're going to write your senior paper about? Oh, yeah. I was what like, I did well, this summer. What am I going to do for <laughs> a college entrance essay? What yeah. I did this yeah. summer by Alex Messenger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, What um, do you think about all that, Phil? <laughs> uh, I mean, sounds crazy and intense, and I can't even comprehend it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good shit, Phil. You like yeah, it? Thanks a lot. I love it. Love it. Phil likes it. Awesome. How are you enjoying thanks, your Phil. cameras, Phil? <laughs> uh, it's a learning experience. I think it's going well, though. I think we're going to make this work. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what we're talking about there is Phil. Go ahead, Yanni. I was going to add some more, you know, bearing and canoe questions, but go ahead. Phil's, Phil's filming. Where I don't know. We're going to like start r- releasing uh, highlight videos and whatnot. That's true. Yeah, this is a test run. You may or may not see some of this, but you will see things in the near future. That is the plan. No. So, Audience, exciting get excited. Stuff. Let's nice. fill the podcast engineer hey, talking. Go ahead, Yannis. We're going to have to really like gussy ourselves up and not pick our nose. <laughs> oh, dude, podcast. I'm already planning on it, man. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to start. You know how Larry King always sat? That's all I'm going to sit. Suspenders. <laughs> Suspenders, leaning forward with your elbows on the table. That some bitch can sit there for hours like that. Uh, <laughs> you, you didn't quite, you, oh. didn't, you were close to finishing, but you didn't finish. You were like, what, 40 some miles, right? From where the rest of the crew ended up taking out. Uh, at the point where I got evacuated. No, where you got evacuated. 100 plus. Well, when I got evacuated, yeah, closer. Like but 40. I was trying to leave those details as like, uh, what I didn't want to do his whole damn book. Well, yeah. I skipped ahead right to the very, very end. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So you got evacuated. Pursue your line of questioning. Sustained. <laughs> um, <laughs> or whatever you say. <laughs> you, you, had to, uh, you had to bring a guy, a guy with you. Yeah. When you, when you pulled out. Yep. Um, I know for a lot of people, like when you're on a big trip like that, that you set out to do, there's a there's a beginning and an end, and if you don't finish, it's like it gnaws at you. Yeah. So is it gnawing at you? Are you guys gonna have to go back and go do the whole <laughs> 600 miles again and finish her up? Yeah, summit fever, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to go back. I don't know if I want to do the same trip exactly, um, but uh, there is kind of that sense of like, oh, you didn't quite finish the trip that you had set out to do, but you did the trip that, that you were dealt. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of part of the whole vibe of like coming to terms with, um, with this and really with any long expedition like that, you get back and it's like, you have to recondition yourself to the world. Um, it's a hard transition. So yeah, someday I'll go back. Okay. (laughs) Last question. I promise. I don't care. Ask them all the questions you want, man. Twice, and I forget the chronology, but twice you guys lose a canoe, correct? (laughs) (laughs) Not on this trip, once on this trip. Well, only once on this trip. Yeah. Like, lost, lost. But I thought you guys got it back one time. No? Well, so one time it's like slid Okay, it barely slid away. Yeah. Okay. Is that the one you're referring to? Right, but then another time you guys actually lose a canoe. Yeah. And it's gone, gone, gone. Yeah. Like, you're, it's not coming back. You guys only have two at that point. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, what sort of, like, what's the protocol for beaching, tethering, putting, how, how does a canoe that you're so dependent upon get taken away? Yeah. Well, well you did it. You were, you were crippled up and you did a shitty job of yanking it up <laughs> on the beach. Yeah. You know, and, and that But night, in that environment, is that oh, the yeah, protocol? Yeah. You just, you just pull it up on the beach, what crippled or not, and you tip it upside down and that's it for the night. So our, our protocol was to like pull it up out of the water and then weight it down so that the wind didn't take it. Gotcha. Um, and what happened in our situation was we had like this century storm, um, yeah. That came up. I actually pulled up footage of that like a couple of years ago from 2005. And it looks like a hurricane. 
going across northern Canada. Um, and it ended up, the water level rose a lot and it ended up taking it away. Um, so basically the protocol for securing your canoes is just that, secure your canoes. So, uh, you know, next time I'd probably drive a stake in the ground or something. Um, or just like bring them so far up from shore. It's like, we're in, we're sitting, you know, we got bigger things to deal with if the waters rise to this point. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah. So that was, that was hard. You guys were doing everything right. It, it was just su- such a circum, extreme circumstance. Yeah. You could not have foreseen it. Compounding yeah. factors. Yeah. Right. Compounding factors. And, and not to mention it was like super cold and stormy the night before. And so we were all just struggling <laughs> and, you know, dealing with the aftermath of a bear attack. And mm-hmm. yeah, so Pretty that was, incredible. that was painful. <laughs> Pretty incredible for a group of 17 year old kids. Yeah. So. Very learning experience. Though. I give you guys a lot of props, man, for not uh, hanging out with those girls longer, too, I gotta say. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could have uh, stu- stuck to that. We were pretty mature. 17-year-old Yanni. Yeah, you guys were. Very mature. Very mature. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Alex Messenger. The title of the book, The 29th Day. Surviving a Grizzly Attack in the Canadian Tundra. Alex, uh, thank you. Thank you. For making the trip out. Yeah. Thanks for telling us your tale. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Take care, everybody. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Hey, it's Steve here. Are you serious about hunting or self-defense? Well, starting in 1996, XS Sights took proven dot-the-eye sight pictures from firearms used on African safaris and applied that methodology to modern defensive handguns, all made in America and trusted by industry leaders. Meat Eater listeners can get an exclusive discount on the XS Sites website. So just go to xssites.com and use code MEATEATER at checkout for 25% off. XS Sites, the fastest sites in any light.